This episode of That's What G Said podcast is brought to you by Cindy Carava, needs full-service realtor Cindy Carava, and sarahcandles.com, all natural candles, locally uh, produced. Make sure to check out sarahcandles.com and use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your... On this episode, we're going to go through some quick NFL wildcard round thoughts. Then we have an interview with the CEO of Sarah Candles, Tyler Herringer. He's a local L.A. guy. I've known Tyler my whole life. We talk L.A. sports. We talk NFL playoffs. And then we break down uh, Sarah Candles and how he started that company. Then we have a a 90-minute interview with Andrew Champagne where we go over Andrew's 50-point plan to fix horse racing. He wrote an article recently, and it's got a little bit of buzz. It was very well done, um, and he put a lot of time into it. So we spent a lot of time going through all of the points and the the fixes that Andrew has for horse racing. We'll close things out with some horse racing plays. We have Thursday, January 9th, Gulfstream Park plays. Friday, January 10th, plays from Sam Houston. So kick back and enjoy this episode of That's What G. Everybody, happy hump day to you. Wednesday, January the 8th, and uh, we are recording another episode of That's What G Said podcast for you. NFL playoff week, divisional round coming up now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened in the wild card round last week. We had four games, and generally the wild card round games aren't that good, right? There's usually a couple teams that get in to the playoffs that Maybe they were good early in the season. They kind of backed in late. Maybe they weren't very deserving of a playoff spot. But we actually had four really good games. In game one, on Saturday afternoon, it was Bills-Texans. And if you backed the Bills, like I did, or anyone that backed the Bills, I mean, you had to be very confident when the score was 16 to nothing. But what we saw was... A lot of the reasons why you would have bet against the Bills or a lot of the reasons why you would have leaned towards the Texans in a game like this because of the uncertainty of Josh Allen, that's basically exactly what happened in here. Josh Allen ends up going 24 of 46 for 264 yards. He actually had nine carries for 92 yards also. So when you just look at the numbers on paper, they're they're not terrible. But it was what happened late in the game where it, it seemed like Josh Allen just kind of had a mental lapse with some of his throws, with you know trying to pitch to a, a tight end when he was down the field. He just took some really bad sacks repeatedly. It was unfortunate because the Bills were the better team most of that game. But what ends up happening when you have a player like Watson, like Deshaun Watson, very much like Russell Wilson, the Texans or the Seahawks, you know, they can look ugly for most of the game, and then what you need is you just need your very talented quarterback to make a couple plays for you here and there, and that's exactly what happened. Watson 
these are some uh, pro football focus numbers. Watson threw a catchable pass on 84% of his targets, and he made the game-winning scramble completion. He went downfield when he was need when it was needed. He went eight of ten on throws, ten plus yards in the second half and in overtime. He actually had a ton of time to throw too. Buffalo was really good in coverage, but he ended up Watson ended up it, it was hurting him early on because he took a ton of sacks. He got sacked seven times, which was a season high because he had so much time to throw. He was looking around, but the coverage was great. He just couldn't find anyone. And then it was the second back. Uh, it was the second half when Allen really just hurt the Bills quite a bit. He went three of ten, zero big time throws, two turnover worthy plays in the second half, and on over and in overtime, and on throws of ten plus yards downfield. Let me go through that one more time. So on throws of ten plus yards downfield, he was three of ten, zero big time throws, two turnover worthy plays, and that was in the second half. So we just saw a different Josh Allen in half one than we did in half two, and we saw a different DeAndre Hopkins who came alive for Houston, caught all four of his targets for 70 yards, and this was when he was against Tredavious White in the second half. So second half, Hopkins against Tredavious White, all four targets, 70 yards. Hopkins won the battle there, including a 41-yard catch over the top of White, and that set up the Texans' game-tying score in the fourth quarter. So, uh, unfortunate if you're a Bills fan, but a good game back and forth. And now an interesting game as Houston goes over to Kansas City, a team that they already played uh, this year. They already beat in Kansas City. This is I, I like Houston a lot more in a spot like this when they're you know not supposed to win, when they're going on the road, when they're playing against a team that may be a little better than them, than when they're favored and when they're supposed to win a game. It seems like they just don't come out and play very well against um, lack against teams that are like of their caliber or of. Or, are not like the top, top-tier teams. It's like they have to have a play against a top-tier team to get up. We'll see if they can get up against the Kansas City Chiefs coming up this weekend. Game two, we saw... I mean, we saw two... You'd have to think of them as really big upsets this weekend. Now, I like the Titans in this game, um, just as far as the uh, the point spread was concerned. And we're talking uh, Titans-Patriots, and the, the Titans win 20-13 to in that game. But anytime the Patriots are not in the divisional round of the playoffs. That has to be seen as an upset. We had uh, the Titans, you know, taking down the Patriots, and we had the Vikings taking down the Saints, two teams that uh, many people, especially the Saints, were a team that a lot of people felt like shouldn't be playing this weekend. The Patriots, they did it to themselves, right? All they had to do was beat Miami last week, and they're not playing in this wild card round. They have the bye. They're playing in the divisional round. They're playing in it with, with a, home, a home game, but... Unfortunately, they laid an egg against Miami, and you know if you hold a team to twenty points, you feel like you should be able to score, and and even it's less than twenty because some of that was late garbage. But it was a big goal line stop in the second quarter for the Titans, and that really stamped the Titans as. A strong defense, I, I think it's a strong defense, and as a team that probably. The Patriots were looking at thinking, I think you could see it in Belichick's head. He was coaching a different game, and he's coached a different game this year with this Patriots team. He hasn't been quite as aggressive. I just don't think he believed in his offense a whole heck of a lot. So the Patriots did not score a point in the second half at home. And Henry had 34 carries for 182 yards. They just couldn't stop him. It was there was nothing that was really surprising about this game when you looked when you like broke it down and analyzed. The only thing that was surprising was the result in that a five point favorite loses the game straight up. A five point favorite, the Patriots in Foxborough at home, where they just very rarely lose. 
they didn't have they get no help from their wide receivers. Their receivers caught just seven of nineteen targets, including two drop passes, and it just showed you that this team didn't have the weapons. When you look at who caught passes for the Patriots, it's James White who has five catches. It's uh, you know a few from Edelman. But it's James White with five, it's Ben Watson with three, it's Rhett's Burkhead with three, Sony Michelle with a couple more. Now now the question, where do we see Tom Brady next? Is he going to be playing for the Patriots next year? Is he going to be playing for, who knows? Tannehill wasn't really even that good either. He had a couple turnover-worthy plays, uh, interception, drop fumble. But he, he made the plays when he needed to. Couple big third downs. Um, I mean, you look at the the numbers in this game. AJ Brown was like non-existent. It was really an ugly game back and forth, and it was the type of game the Patriots really wanted. the The problem was they just couldn't stop Derrick Henry on the ground. They couldn't make a big play when they needed to. Titans had two hundred and one yards on forty carries. Uh, defensive backfield played really well. Adore Jackson was back. He helped out a little bit. Now we'll see what's going to be next. For the Patriots. Vikings-Saints game, I mean, let's just be honest. The Vikings kicked the crap out of the Saints in this game. They really did. I think it even looks closer than it was because, you know, they went to overtime and the Vikings ended up winning overtime. Nobody's talking about was it an offensive pass interference when they scored. Who cares? I mean, they really beat up the Saints in this game. And if it wasn't for some, like, very conservative play calling late when they had opportunities, I mean, the game started out with Thielen... Fumbling the ball. I mean, Thielen had a brutal start to this game. He fumbled the ball on the opening drive. He was flagged for a holding penalty that erased a first down. He had a key drop in the first half. But then he made the huge catch over Patrick Robinson in overtime that brought him down, you know, went inside the five and they were able to score. That was coming into the game. How much were they going to get out of Thielen? How much were they going to get out of Cook? Would they get enough out of out of those two skill position players to be able to go up and down with New Orleans. You know what? New Orleans just played poor. Drew Drew Brees played really poor. Turned the ball over. Interception. Fumble. Vikings really slowed down Michael Thomas. He had seven catches for 70 yards. But he only had eight targets. The only player who, who really like played well for New Orleans was Taysom Hill who had 125 of the Saints' 324 yards and one of their two touchdowns on offense. I mean, the Saints were even gifted with the fumble early on that helped set up a score for them. They just didn't look like the Saints at all, and this was the one team that I was the most wrong on because had they won, I probably would have continued to ride the Saints all the way to the Super Bowl. I genuinely thought they were right there, with Baltimore as one of the most well-rounded teams and best teams in football. I kind of had New Orleans and Baltimore like slightly above San Francisco just because I've seen it a little bit more from New Orleans in the in the playoffs. I, I'm still a little concerned, not concerned, but until you see a quarterback like Jimmy G in a playoff game do it, I want to see him do it. Although Jimmy G has made big throws and big plays all throughout the year. I don't know what moment in a playoff big moment is, but something we saw with Josh Allen. Um, yeah, this just was not... Not a good effort from New Orleans, plain and simple. And the Vikings, now, with some healthy skill players, they go on the road, they play San Francisco, and they've got a little momentum right now. This could be a, a matchup, not the best matchup for San Francisco because the Vikings have a good defense. They can kind of slow them down a little bit too. Uh, I think both teams will try to run the ball and see which of the quarterbacks can make a big play or two when needed. 
And then the, the game that was a little bit of a bummer, uh, unfortunately, was the Seattle-Philly game because Carson Wentz got knocked out of the game really early on, and we knew from then the game was really over. Josh McCown did a, did a very admirable, admirable job trying to make anything happen, but unfortunately he was sacked six times against a defense that's really not good at generating pressure, and he just couldn't do enough. It would be different if it was... McNown with the regular Eagles skill players. If you told me that Josh McCown was throwing to Alshon Jeffrey and Aguilar and Ertz, you know, like a healthy, healthy Ertz, I would say they have a shot. But when now you're missing Wentz, you're missing your backs, you're missing your number one receivers, they really just had no shot. And they still tried, they still battled, they end up only losing 17 to 9. But it's just the kind of game that you get from Seattle. This is the game that Seattle's going to play everybody close. Now they got to go on the road and play Lambeau. See if they can keep that game close. See if they can get a little healthier. But this was kind of a coming out party for DK Metcalf, who had seven receptions for 160 yards and a touchdown. Okay, let's get on to uh, a couple interviews that we have first. We'll, break, we'll have another episode, on, and that's what G said in just a few days, where we talk about all the weekend stuff. We'll go over the football games for the weekend, and we'll break down some weekend races. But right now, we're going to talk with the CEO of Sarah Candles, Tyler Herringer. Tyler is a big sports fan. He likes to play the races. And so we talk all about L.A. sports. We talk about the NFL playoffs. And then we get into Sarah Candles and how he started Sarah Candle Company. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Tyler Herringer. Very happy to bring on uh, our next guest, one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast from Sarah Candles and a good friend of mine. I'm going to bring on Tyler Herringer. Well, well, first of all, you're you're the the boss and the head honcho. What what title do you go by uh, for Sarah Candles? Are you the CEO or what are you? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, you can call me whatever you want. The CEO, the the janitor, head honcho, uh, the chief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all of the above, man. So Tyler, let's see. We have known each other for coming up on thirty years, I'd say. Because yeah, the way our say, yeah, virtually our entire lives. Yeah, because like our family. The way it was, we were like one year apart from each other. Your older sister was a year above me, and then you were a year below me, and then my sister was a year younger than you, and then your brother was a year younger than her. I think so. Like we were yeah. each, uh, every other year all the way down. So we went to grade school together, played uh, sports together, grew up basically, you know, kindergarten through eighth grade. I think mm-hmm. uh, your dad made my mom some delicious cakes sometimes that she uh, that she loved. <laughs> and, yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, so what um what kind of what sports are you into now? I know we talk uh, about some gambling. We played fantasy football this year in a league. Um, yeah, I think you've always been a really big Kings fan too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big uh, big Kings fan. P- played hockey virtually my entire life, so it's a le- lower on the popularity scale of, uh, of of the four major sports. I guess it might even be getting passed soon here by soccer. But yeah, big hockey fan, big Kings fan. Uh, big Dodger fan, big Laker fan, mostly the LA teams. Gotten yeah. on board with the the Rams as they've kind of come back here to LA. So this is gonna ask. So football wise too, that's what we've kind of had. A, we had a void for most of our lives with like a pro football team. For me, it was kind of like being such a, a big USC fan that kind of filled a lot of the void. But I, I've done the same thing with the Rams too. I had no reason to like hate on them when they came back. I was ready to kind of embrace another uh, another LA team and, and a football team too. So yeah, I mean it's it's. 
we've been in a pretty good era even even though it's a little down for the kings right now like they had a couple really nice runs in the last you know decade or so so we can't be too down on on the ups and downs because they've had a, they had a, a pretty good run probably going to be down for a little while now yeah i mean it's uh you got you get two cups there in a matter of three seasons when you hadn't won one ever in your entire history and there's going to be some you know that that's the salary cap way of sports you're going to be good for a while and you got to pay your players and you'll kind of take a step back that's where they are right now but they're, they're still competitive still fun to watch got to support your teams and understand that that's you can't be good every year even we've seen that with the patriots now you can't you can't win forever yeah, we, and, and we can't really complain too much about the Dodgers. Obviously, we want to win a World Series. You know, we want to see one, and, and we're not babies and infants, but we uh, we can't really complain when we're in it every year and we have a good team and we feel like like we feel like every single year we're, like, making slight improvements. We're kind of finding hidden gems, and I, I do, like, I, I have faith in them that it's going to get, we're going to win one of these years. Yeah, I think, you know, the only, I guess the only uh you know, obviously there's the itch to just get over the hump and get there and you, you know, the, the, the fan in you and the, almost the human in you really wants to see Kershaw be a prominent yes. player and winning yes. one. But other than that, I have, I have complete faith in the, you know, the, the front office is, uh, seems like they're kind of ahead of the curve on everything and it's hard, you know, they're, and they're, they're there every single year and there's an, there's an element of luck that needs to kind of go your way and everything kind of needs to fall into place. The nationals were the worst team in baseball kind of found their footing and then everything kind of went their way in the playoffs and they found their way to a title. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to stay up top like that, but it's, you know, there is an element of luck and things have to fall your way to win. And I, you know, the Dodgers will get there. I, I'm not, I don't yeah. doubt it too much, but it is, it is frustrating though every year to like, man, and then, you know, every year that they don't win, it's, you know, is it whose fault is it? Is the Kershaw is not good anymore. And it's like, well, come on, the guy's been one of the best pitchers for a decade. So you want and to see you, him win one, and and they're good. So you know. you don't want to make too like like rash of a decision and like too drastic of a change when your team is three years in a row losing to the World Series champ, like barely, you know, like very competitively <laughs> in like a you know game seven of the World Series, and then you know we maybe we got beat up a little by Boston, but the things just all really went well for them this year. And then you know, like you said, you catch a Washington team that was not good in the first, you know. Third half of the season and they Got a little healthy things started to click for them And they catch you know the Dodgers I still think it's hard to go back and we could have Would have could have should have but you know going into The playoffs like this was that was the team that I was the Most scared of because with their pitching Especially how they could match up with you in a short series I feel like if you were able to draw A series out with them which you know that was probably your best chance to get them And so in a, in a five gamer I think we were in a Little trouble with them as a Dodger fan Yep, no, I totally agree with you there with that. The way they stacked up kind of one, two, three, and the way they were kind of not shy about using Corbin and using oh, yeah. Strasburg out of, out of, kind of out of turn and using him out of the bullpen. And I think maybe the, you know, maybe the ghosts of the past may have gotten to Roberts a little bit. He wanted mm-hmm. to kind of give Kershaw his redemption. And yep. it's easy to, like you said, it's easy to look back and nitpick, but, you know, maybe he only uses Kershaw for that one batter and then. Goes to the bullpen instead of starting Kershaw off in the inning, but you can you can play that game all day. So and we will, we will, and we will, yeah, yeah exactly. We'll, we'll do it until the until which is crazy because you know we're recording this on uh, the evening of January the sixth. Man, we're not far away from pitchers and catchers reporting. It's it's pretty crazy how quick it, it turns over, yeah. uh, especially like towards the you know the end of baseball because there's so many things going on. Like baseball ends and you're like right in the middle of football. You're right in the middle of college football. Basketball starts. Hockey has just started. And so you like mm-hmm. everything's going on and you kind of 
There's just like a few months that fly by, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, baseball rumors again. We're hearing about which yeah. big trade the Dodgers <laughs> might make soon. So, and and then we we move over to the Lakers. It's we got we got to be really happy the way things have gone this year. I mean, even with the trade of Anthony Dave for Anthony Davis, I think people were still a little unsure of how the rest of the team would fill in around LeBron and AD. And um, this start has been unbelievable. They. They kind of take everybody's best shot too. Even team, it's like it's always been that way. The teams that aren't very good, they come in, they play the Lakers really, really tough. You yes. know, they get up to play the <laughs> Lakers, but it's been fun night in and night out. I think my son uh, Milo had like a ten or eleven game winning streak yeah. to start his life. That that was pretty great. <laughs> I was following that along on Twitter. Yeah, Milo was. I was. I was like thinking for a second, maybe he, he may never see a loss. I yeah. mean, <laughs> AD thing is the AD thing has worked out probably even better than anybody could have imagined. LeBron looks kind of re. re- Revitalized, rejuvenated after last year, and yeah, like you said, they, the Lakers are going to come in every single game, and it seems even the last few games. Again, th- that's another thing too, where you know the Lakers have been so great, and they're supposed to be great that you can nitpick them, and people do. But the, even when they're up by thirty points on a team, you can say, well, they should they should close people out. But these these teams want to play the Lakers, and yep. and even the individual players, they you know, hey, if I could, I want to put up a fifty spot on the Lakers, so they might even get a little selfish and just start shooting, and you know, so you're going to get. You're going to get everything against the Lakers and they're going to, and you know, not to, everyone's got their own strategy, but the Lakers aren't doing any rest days. You know, everyone's no. playing every game if they're healthy. And so, you know, you, it's, it's a long season and I'm sure, you know, the, you, yeah. As a fan, I like that, honestly, because especially because not, not many of these groups, like if you were the Warriors from, from last year or two years ago, like, or if you were, you know, a group like the Spurs used to when they had won that has already been there, that has already done that, that has been, you know, that knows what it takes as a group to win. I'm okay with you taking some games off here and there, you know, sitting because you know what your ultimate goal is. But I think for all these teams, you know, Lakers, Clippers, everyone included here, there's no dominant favorite this year. There's no team like it's been the last few years. So I think for everyone getting, you know, home court throughout, getting a top seed, having to set yourself up in kind of the easiest way through the playoffs, that's huge because these matchups are key. Like the Lakers and the Clippers would be a battle of a series. The Clippers don't seem to match up well with the Rockets. Um, you know, I and it would, all, it would all be like the matchup. So I, I'm happy as a fan because like we saw a lot of Laker losses over the last five or six yes. years. Mm-hmm. So every time we go out there and we win a game that I feel like we would have lost last year or two years ago, I'm content with that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see them competitive again. And like you said, it's nice to see them playing everybody and just trying to figure out what pieces work together. I know that they're looking to improve their second unit a little bit, and that's going to come with time. You got, I mean, what I think at one point in the offseason, the Lakers technically had like two players on their yeah, roster, yeah. Or something like that. You know, like so it's like, Kuzma, these, yeah, was... like none of these guys have played together. You got to give people oh. that, you know, they although they're all professionals and they're the best in their field, they, I mean, they still got to learn how to play together and they still got to, you know, help on defense and stuff like that. So it's, it's nice to see it's working out so well early on, and you know I'm sure they'll can only get it better here as the season goes on. So let's uh, before we get into to start talking Sarah Candles real quick. How did I was trying to go through this the other day? We would call each other Tylerina and Gina Arena for years. How did that even start? You I know, don't I was, even remember. I was trying I, to yeah. I was thinking of, I was thinking back about that too, and I. I don't even keep, remember. We gotta I, keep I was trying to like Some, somebody yeah, called. Like, I will come day. up with it. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. We gotta work on it. I'll ask my family around too because yeah. I was laughing. I was like, <laughs> I gotta bring this up, but I don't know why it would go. And we would go yeah. back and forth. Tylerina, Gina Arena, how's it going? Yeah, back and forth. But, yeah. yeah, that was back in like the seventh, eighth grade. I remember yeah. I, 
I was running for uh, like student council in eighth grade, and you or well, I was in seventh grade going into eighth, and you were like my campaign manager. That was there we, we go. were playing. I we were walking on the school playing Eye of the Tiger. That's what like it's that. like, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was great. The glory days. Yeah, and um, and actually, you re- like recently because when I was working on TVG, sometimes I would get messages from you too. You started getting into playing the races a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd linked up with a, a kind of a buddy or two that I'd, I'd never really, you know, I've always, I mean, living where we live, we live, what, less than five, ten minutes from yeah. the from the track, and I'm like, man, and, and I would and I would hear some family members from out of town or friends from out of town in college, you know, like, man, you live that close to the races, and you've never, like, you don't, re- you're never really gone, and I was like, you know, I've just never really learned, and I've always wanted to, I'm a numbers guy, I'm an accountant by trade. And, uh, so I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta get into this, you know, and I, I love sports and I love gambling and I'm like, there's, you know, and then I started, you know, slowly getting into it and looking at the numbers behind it. But yeah, so I was a little late to the game, I guess, and that I've really only been doing it kind of seriously. And even then I'm not nearly as good as, you know, the top handicappers, obviously, but I've been probably only doing it seriously for about three, four years. And I wish, man, I would, I'd started it earlier, but yeah. That's and cool, so yeah. I always, and I, and I kind of knew, you know, I knew, knew you and so I would kind of connect with other people on Twitter, other, you know, I start following like kind of like-minded horse players on Twitter. And, and then, you know, occasionally we'd exchange messages on big racing days or something like that. And I'd kind of throw your name out there and say, Oh yeah. You know, I kind of, that's kind of how I got into it. And I, I know you and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Gino. And so then I would just, you know, that's kind of how we, I got into the, it was, I guess, indirectly via you, but. You know, Good thing you talked to the right yeah. people. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> if you talked to one of those wrong people, they would have yeah, responded they go, the opposite yeah, that, way. Is, nah, that crap, Gino I guy, I don't know about oh, that Gino man. guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You put up with this guy for 20 plus years, I don't know about him. Yeah, I don't know about this bonkers for Yonkers guy. Yeah, not sure. Uh, so, uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was great to hear from you. I was like, oh, yeah, I got it. So we'll have to go. We'll have to make a, a trip of it one day and, and head on out there and, uh, and have a few yeah. drinks. Uh, and mm-hmm. and go and go through the whole experience over at Santa Anita, so or even down at Del Mar, which is awesome when when you go down. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. I've I've only been down to Del Mar once, and it wasn't really like the full experience. It was more kind of like a sightseeing type thing. Like the races were going on, but it wasn't really like I wasn't locked in. So I'd love to go down. Okay, there, yeah, like, we'll have to go yeah. in a different mode yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Sure. In the horse player mode as opposed to like the sightseer mode. Okay, so let's now let's get into Sarah Candle Company. So people have been hearing about Sarah Candles for the last couple of months here on That's What G Said, and we just got through the holiday season. But we, so how did you get into to everything? Like, take us from the beginning. How did this all start? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I was never really a big you know candle guy myself. I never like you know like I would obviously you know aware of them, and I knew that you know like the Bath and Body Works and the Yankee Candles are the leaders in the candle industry. And I just kind of left it at that. And my mom actually came home one day with like, you know, 15, 20 of these candles. And they said, oh, Bath and Body Works is having their big annual sale. And I said, wow, okay. So then they, every, and then I started seeing, I'm like, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? And I just see there's a frenzy. Like there's, it's almost like a cult movement with these candles. And I said, well, what's the, what's so special about them? What's the deal with them? And so I just got curious and I started kind of looking into them. And seeing like, okay, like, you know, the entrepreneur and the business side of me is like, well, how, like, how expensive are they to make? What, what goes into the process? And I started seeing that what they're using, the reason what they're able to make them kind of at a cheaper rate than a, like a soy-based candle, which is what I sell, is that they're using a paraffin wax. And the paraffin wax just is like a synthetic type wax and it actually has a lot of the same elements as gasoline that you put in your car. And I said, well, that can't be safe to burn yeah. in your home. Like yeah. you're going to light, you're going to literally light that on fire 
and which is kind of kind of stuff we we normally don't even think about this right like we don't look at the stuff on the candle or like the instruction or anything we just kind of like light it we're like okay candle you know but like this is something that was kind of a new world to me too when you were talking about it yeah and so i kind of did look started kind of just you know doing more casual research still nothing too serious i go well okay so then what's the alternative if that's if you're going to light that in your house and again most people aren't even aware of it you just see oh wax candle sure all can aren't all candles the same i don't know what's the difference everything there's different scents but aren't they just isn't every isn't a candle a candle and so i said wait a minute and so i you know doing more research and it, it in 2019 people are you know just more conscious what do you put in your body what do you put in your house what kind of products you're using the soaps the shampoos the food everything and i said well it's weird that you know these you're seeing a lot of people that are like you know health conscious as far as eating or health conscious as far as you know like their cleaning products but then they have the candle sitting there and like, man, they don't, I don't even think they're aware. And then I started looking up, okay, well, there's, someone has to be making a soy-based candle yeah. if there's soy wax out there. I look up the soy candles and for the same price, the soy candle is, you know, like 40, 50 bucks. And I go, oh, okay, well, there's your answer. The soy candle is just far too expensive. And so I said, there's got to be a way you can make a soy candle for essentially the same price as a paraffin wax candle. And so I started looking into it and found some suppliers that can make them. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me try it out. I don't know if I can make it. I, you know, I, I got to find the science behind it and I don't know if it'll be successful. And so I kind of made a few testers and I gave them to some people who like candles, my mom and some family friends and stuff. And they burned them and they said, yeah, these burn really well. They smell actually, I think they actually smell better. They produce a better scent throw and, and knowing that they're better for me and better for my family and everything like that. I think it's, I think it's a good idea. So I said, okay, let's, let's, let's turn it up a notch. And I kind of started looking into it more, looking for, you know, my logo and, you know, looking for a name. And I said, okay, it's gotta be something quick and easy. I wanted to make it a simple design, something that would kind of fit in, you know, look good. And so you don't have to like kind of try to hide the candle somewhere and it would be a nice design. You could kind of use it in any decor and it would be an easy name to remember. And so that's, yeah. You know, over several months, I kind of refined it and came up with it all. And that's uh, kind of the finished product I came out with. And we're just trying to kind of educate people on candles and just get it into as many hands as possible. And even if you don't think you're a candle person or if, you know, it's, you know, traditionally, you know, you see the, the females burn it, your mom burns one, your girlfriend burns one, and not too many guys are out there burning candles. And I kind of, delved into that too and we've got a few scents on the website that are kind of more of a, a manly type we've got in like an one's called oak moss and amber and that's kind of a more manly sense most that was one i had yeah yeah like a cologne type and and you know there's there's candles there's there's hundreds of scents out there and we're kind of trying to refine and find kind of a spread because everyone's kind of got different scents but i'm just trying to you know just give it, everyone just to give it a shot you can get the especially with the with the promo code out there if you use gino you can get one of those small candles and you can get it for just over 10 bucks and it'll, it'll last for over 30 hours. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good value and, you know, and I know, you know, people got, you know, you're trying to earn people's money. I don't want, you know, people to buy it just for the sake of buying it, but you know, if for, for 10 bucks, if you can get a candle and see if you like it and, you know, so far we've gotten pretty good feedback and we're always constantly looking to improve. And uh, I figure, Hey, for 10 bucks, you can try it, see if you like it. And if you like it, order more and, if not, no big deal. But yeah, you know, I just wanted to get it into as many people's hands as possible. Give them an alternative to the candles that they're normally accustomed to. Yeah, we're just we're like we're we have so much more information nowadays with everything with like mm-hmm. with health, 
with exercise, with food, you know, that doesn't stop me from eating my bacon and cheese fries at islands, you know, all the time. But we, we're just so much more health conscious about everything that it just makes the most sense nowadays to have like the top quality, the best quality. And what I like mm-hmm. is about is everybody that's heard this interview now, you're a, a local some you're local right here you, you've actually like done all this alert work, work and all the legwork yourself i gotta be honest too like when i talk with new people that are going to sponsor the show and then i'm going to help promote i always want to like talk to them and then i like gotta t- test the product myself first right like i'm not i don't yeah. want to i don't want to like be shilling something that i really like can't like sell mm-hmm. and so i had to i got a bunch of your candles first we tested them out uh stephanie i absolutely love them had a couple from my family too. My aunt and uncle got them. I know Stephanie's dad got some in Texas. Like we're we're just big fans of them because we we burn the candles a lot too. And um, if you're someone who likes candles, just give them a try. And I promise you, you you won't go back the other way. Like you'll notice there's a difference. You'll notice that they last a little longer. The scent is awesome. And now we know that they're healthy and they're coming from someone who's local, right? You you're doing this like right. Yep. You're low, I'm like doing, right I'm doing it all and 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 they're all like you know and and and, and I guess to take it one step further too. If you know if you're inclined to try to support you know this is these are all everything's made in the usa it's all uh, hand poured i i look at every single batch individually i make sure it's the top quality like it's i'm not making them in a factory somewhere and shipping them in everything's everything's made here locally and packaged locally and it's all it's all natural and especially like you know you, you got the you got the new baby there you got milo there and you know I'm, i see plenty of people they're burning those candles in their house and you got especially you know i mean if you don't want to take care of yourself, you know, you should at least be conscientious of your kids and stuff yes. like that. And you got a little one there, his lungs are developing. And my sister's got a couple of young kids too. And she's like, man, I was burning these candles all the time. I had no idea. And, and I do, and I'm following, and, and I've been like just more because of becoming more aware of it, I've become more conscientious of it. Like I'm trimming the wick. You know, as it goes down, like I was yeah. doing a better job of, okay, like it's towards the bottom now. I don't need to burn it all the way to the bottom. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is what the best quality is going to be. Like I just, you know, you just learn a little bit more. You become a little bit more educated about it. And I've, and yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed like learning some of these things about it. And, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm doing, uh, we'll do our best here to, uh, to help everyone out there because like we said, man, it's cool to, it's cool to support uh, a small business, someone who's kind of figured something out and you've, you've worked really hard at this and you have a, you have a different, take you know what i mean you can't try to go <laughs> yeah. about beating like a or like you know succeeding in a world where there are big companies and big corporations if you're just going to try to do the same thing that they do without yeah, they, like the same kind of backing but you're you have a completely different take and your angle is different and that's why you have a, a real chance to being successful here exactly yeah that was kind of my my thing too i was like i gotta i gotta have a corner i gotta have an edge i gotta have mm-hmm. something that you know no one else is doing so this is you know my 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 whole tagline is you're going to get a luxury candle but you're going to get it at an affordable price and uh you're going to like it and we've got some big things coming up the the holiday boxes uh, were a, were a big hit we're going to do something similar kind of coming up for Valentine's Day and we've got some new uh some scents coming out along with Valentine's Day in the springtime that I think uh, people, a lot of people are going to like that we've kind of developed and uh, so I think, uh, you know, if you're and even if you're not a candle guy, if you if you uh, are a candle girl, if you, if you think your significant other might be, we're going to have a Valentine's Day box that's going to be released here within the next uh, couple weeks. And it'll be two candles that'll burn for at least 30 hours each. And you'll be able to get the whole box for 20 bucks. And so it's easy to pair with some flowers and chocolates and you can get the candles and maybe earn you some extra points this year. 
Boom. And then, you know, if you're yeah. doing shopping for all, all sorts of, you know, their friends and family, what's great is just like the variety of the scents that you have. Mm-hmm. You're up to like 25, 30 different scents. So you can literally pick them out for your different friends. Like you said, if you want to give some like a buddy that or that's a guy who you're not sure if they're into the candles, like a different scent versus like one of your lady friends who you know is into candles, mom, sister, you know, daughter, girlfriend, mm-hmm. wife, whoever it is. So, yeah, that, that's what's great about this is the, the variety and um, I, I'm really excited to uh, to continue to uh, uh, reload every time I need a new batch. So before we let you go, uh, we're down to eight. We have four games coming up this weekend in the NFL. And so far now, after after kind of a couple upsets last weekend, we, Patriots are gone. Saints are gone. Um, the Ravens now are going to be pretty tough. The 49ers are going to be pretty tough. Uh, the Chiefs will be in the mix there too. The Packers, they were the bye teams this week. Do you have any just kind of overall thoughts on what on the remaining field and who you like right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, it's 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 a uh, if you're a if you're a Texans fan, which I had kind of uh, gravitated towards once we didn't have an LA team, I I kind of latched onto the Texans and because they were a uh, an expansion team when I was looking for a team. So I said, okay, well, sure. no one could say I'm a bandwagoner. Yeah. And I've kind of stuck it out with them. And they're just a frustrating team because the talent level's there, but they just seem to like kind of be anemic for, well, on, on Saturday, they were anemic for about three quarters of the game and then kind of came alive and made a dramatic win. So you got to say, well, the Chiefs obviously are a, a higher quality as far as the skill positions go over the Bills. But if the, if the Texans could play a complete game, Maybe I mean not not likely, but maybe, and so you give them a little nod. I, I, I can't see I can't see Tennessee giving the Ravens much of a, a game, but you know I've been wrong before. Um, the, and KC nine- lost yeah. to the Texans earlier this year at home. Mm-hmm. You went in there and beat them earlier this year. So yeah, and, and you know JJ what? And Watts this is back and, this know. is the situation I actually like the Texans in more. When they're kind of like on the road and they're not expected to win, it seems yeah. like that's when Deshaun can kind of pull something out. Versus like mm-hmm. they're not as good when they're favored and they're at home and they're supposed yeah. to win. They seem like they lay the, they lay an egg a lot. A lot of their like yeah. against the numbers. This year like were, they did the uh, they did the they did Broncos. the blowout of the Patriots and then yeah. they and then they just completely lay an egg against the Broncos the next week. And you're like, and you know maybe this week hopefully uh, I haven't seen a, an update yet this early in the week, but maybe Will Fuller will be back. That'll provide him with a deep threat, and mm-hmm. you know you never know. But yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic as a fan, but I don't want to get too homer on it and say, oh yeah, they're gonna win when you know the the Chiefs are Andy Reid. You know he's he's been there before, and Mahomes, and Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. You know the list goes on and on there. But uh, yeah, you know that should be I, I, if nothing else, it should be a very entertaining game. And the game I'm kind of most intrigued about actually is the Niners and the Vikings game yeah. because if the Vikings can show, I mean, what they did. A, defensively against Drew Brees and the Saints was very impressive and if they could find a way to play that well defensively and Kirk Cousins can find a player too it seems like every year in the playoffs there's a big throw to either Thielen or Diggs that that, you know that wins them a big game it seems like it's always against the Saints but who knows you know that could be a tough game for this is probably this is probably Jimmy Garoppolo's biggest game biggest as a game? starter. Yeah, it has to be. yeah, yeah, and so you know it, that, that that's an interesting game, an intriguing game to me. And and then our final game, and, we got a couple of good yeah. quarterbacks over there with Rodgers and with Wilson, and and you know yeah. that that it's mm-hmm. it's going to be tough to go and win in Lambeau. But I think if anybody, like you said, kind of Seattle's been basically in every game this year, they they never get beat up. And they never beat any, beat anybody up. It's like they're yeah. they're in every game. They're back and forth, and it just comes down to can Wilson make that play or not. Exactly. I saw something this morning that uh, I hadn't I hadn't realized initially, but 
the Seahawks beat the Eagles 17 to nine. I believe the score was they beat them by that exact same score in the regular season too. So they just seems like they kind of play in those, those style of games. It's like a fist fight and they just kind of wear you down. And like you said, wait for Russell Wilson to make that one play. And if DK Metcalf can play like that again, uh, they'll be tough, but you can never count out Rogers at home. I'm sure Lambo will, it'll be cold and it'll be snowy and, you know, it'll be a typical frozen tundra type game. And so that one should be fun too. It should be a fun weekend. Well, uh, give us the information again. Where can we find uh, all the good stuff about sarahcandles.com? And where can we find you on social media if we want to follow you and, uh, and chat back and forth with you? Yeah. So, yeah, sarahcandles.com is the website. You can go check it out. Make sure you use the code Gino. I'll get you 10% off any, any order of any size. And uh, yeah, you can look at on Instagram is the best way to get in touch. Uh, Sarah Candles on Instagram, C E R A Candles on Instagram. And yeah, if you have any questions about anything or you, you know you need you want more information or you're just curious about something, yeah, feel free to shoot me a message on there, and uh, I'll be yeah, I'll be more than happy to to chat with anybody who has any questions about the candles and and see if we can get them out to as many people as possible. Tyler Herringer, Sarah Candles, it was good talking to you, buddy. We'll have to uh, link up soon and get out to the racetrack and and watch some games uh, as well. Absolutely, you know, thank pleasure uh, pleasure being on. Thanks for having me. Okay, that was Tyler Herringer. We'll be back in just a second here on That's What She Said. A big thank you to Tyler Herringer. Appreciate the support of Sarah Candles here on That's What She Said. So if you can, big, big favor. If you can go out and purchase one of those Sarah Candles, they're great for family, friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, you name it. All sorts of different scents that'll be a big help to me. It'll be a big help to to Tyler. So if you like to support small businesses and people who – uh work really hard and you notice this is something that he won't he's really interested in he's put a lot of time into so give him a look sarahcandles.com and make sure to use that promo code gino it'll get you 10 percent off your purchase it'll let them know that you're uh, that you found out about them on that's what g said podcast up next andrew champagne he wrote an article last week and it was uh you know, 50-point plan to, to fix racing. We all have a lot of gripes with horse racing. The last, you know, decade or so, things have been trending downward. There's a lot of, I mean, in any business, in any organization, there are plenty of things you can look at and say, how do we improve this? How do we fix that? Nobody really takes the time to sit down and actually put these things on paper or, or, or jot them down. Andrew did. So we're going to go through, and, you know, like anything, there are not all things that you're going to agree with. There weren't all things that I necessarily 100% agreed with. We had some back and forth on some of them, but I I thought it was awesome um, how passionate he is about horse racing and how he obviously cares about the well-being of the horse, and he cares a lot about the customer too. So enjoy this interview with Andrew Champagne. Okay, this next guest, you know him. Uh, he's been on That's What G Said podcast before a few times. We've talked to him a bunch on the Mike Abadir show. Very, very good friend of mine. And I'm happy to bring him uh, on because he had a really cool article. Are we going with article? It's article, right? Or is this like a think piece article? Uh, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. Think piece article sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. Let's it, roll with that. Let's roll it was that. good, and it created a little bit of buzz out there. So I figured this would be something kind of cool to turn into a podcast because it was – you were – okay, give us the background. Like where did this um, this 50-point plan to improve horse racing come from? The moral of the story here, Gino, is don't ever piss me off because I will put forth a gigantic block of text that will beat you into submission until you go away. And that's pretty much it. As a preface here, uh, Bradley Weisbord, the bloodstock agent, his father founded the TDN. 
he publicly asserted that he wanted racing to align more with barstool sports. And we can talk for as long as the day is about barstool sports, the good, the bad, whatever. I grew up with a sister. I've got two nieces. I'm uncomfortable with some of the things that they do. Let's put it that way. So I wasn't overly thrilled with that. And I tweeted as such. And Bradley Weisbord said, and I have the tweet up here. Have you seen the metrics? Maybe the higher ups should hire you. Find new gamblers. Put fans in the seats of racetracks. Good luck. Well, okay. So when that happened, I finished my workday. I got home and I wrote a 50-point plan to improve horse racing in an hour. It is a miracle that the keyboard didn't melt. So that and this went is, online. It got and a this lot is of great buzz, and here we are. Because we, it, it was... To, and the thing about Brad, which I, I don't really know him too well, which is great, is like he, we, we all in in the last, you know, year in particular, I think, where we've had a lot of negatives in the world of horse racing, like all of us who are in horse racing, we love it. Like we all want the same things for it, right? We all want it to be successful. We all want it to be um, like publicly, not something that's like one of your points, optics matter. You know what I mean? We want it to be something that's thought of like positive again. Um, and it's not quite a bit in that way. Things have been trending down. Unfortunately, we saw, um, and an, I saw a post today about total handle betting per race and field sizes all declining. And I think a lot of it, and, and we're going to go through here, a lot of these things are, are common sense. And that's kind of what's been frustrating in horse racing is that we have a lot of people who want the same thing. And we kind of, we're not big enough to all say, well, we can each have our own little piece of the pie because it doesn't really work that way in horse racing. We have to all share the same pie and we have to kind of do what's best for the customer, what's best for the better. And I, I, I we're going to go through this now um, and we'll we'll spend a few seconds on some of them that, that are more self-explanatory and then others we'll dive into. But so you're now the racing czar. You have 50 easy steps to improve it. So right off the bat, you want to promote from within to uh, account for many resignations that across uh, what would undoubtedly take place following the announcement of your appointment. But hey, I feel like with number two, I might be one of those passionate young men or women who want to make a difference in the game. So I might have a big job in this regime, you know. Well, I don't know. You got a kid. So the, <laughs> that's the young true. thing that's that, true. that might we, we might have to look past that. We might You're have right. to look the other way. But right. either way, yeah, expect a call. That's true. Okay. And then uh Breeders' Cup Derby, we had a laugh at that. That was number three. And then number four, which is great. If we're still short on people, we're cloning Tom Durkin, who uh, has just been such a great racing ambassador through the years. And I don't think anybody's ever had a bad word to say about Tom. I've got a Tom Durkin story for you real quick. Uh, So my dad and I are going to the Racing Hall of Fame. This was in the summer of 2017, which for a variety of reasons was a big summer for me. That was the summer where I beat everybody at Saratoga and asserted that, hey, I know how to do this. Well, we're at the Hall of Fame and Tom Durkin walks in and he's getting set to do his tour. And I know I've known Tom for a little bit. He's a really good guy. I introduce him to my father. They shake hands. Everybody starts talking. And Tom goes, oh, yeah, you're doing really well this summer. So we leave the Hall of Fame. We go around the corner. I look to my dad and I go three, two, one. And I burst into this dance like Willie Mays Hayes in Major League after he finds out he's going to the big leagues and he hasn't been cut (laughs) because Tom Durkin said I was doing a good job. I love Tom Durkin. He's a friend of mine. And it's one of those instances where when they say don't meet your heroes, they didn't mean Tom Durkin because he I can't say enough good things about that guy. One of the ones who kind of did that for me because I got lucky is when you're, you know, 
assigned reporter duty at the track some of those days and you're at Santa Anita or Del Mar or wherever you are and you get to interview the celebrity or whoever's around and uh, I got to interview Jim Rome a couple times right when he was coming up you know and starting in ownership and he was someone that I had listened to I mean I don't know how many hours from forever and it was same kind of thing my dad laughed after because uh, we had listened to so many Jim Rome shows together and he said my name kind of similar just kind of like what you're saying he said uh, yeah, great. You know, thanks a lot for that, Gino. Appreciate it. And he it just was like, oh man, he said my like, wow, he said my name. That was so cool. And uh, yeah, we all it, it's it's a really cool when we get an opportunity to uh, to meet someone that we or to interact with someone that we've looked looked up to forever. And Tom's just uh just been so great and great for racing. So now we start to get into um a lot more specific stuff. Like number five, horse comes first. We're breeding to race, not racing to breed. Which I completely agree with you. Like what? How, I mean, how are we thinking about it? Like what, how can we do this a little bit better? Well, this leads into point number six, and I don't want to jump the gun here, but we have gotten to the point where maybe not for all breeders, certainly, but for some breeders, a horse's ability to, and I use the term loosely, breeze an eighth of a mile as a two-year-old is more important than anything they do once their racing career gets started. That's wrong. That's backwards. And it's time we did something about it. It, it's just too much too early You know we're asking like too much of them too early Because then it comes down to uh, Who works a little bit faster And who works a little bit faster this time And who works a little bit faster this time And it's just they're not developed quite yet I don't know too many people When you talk to like clockers and people out there They just don't It's not really great for them like asking a lot of them So early on So I, I, I'm with you I, It just it seems a little bit too much um, Number seven Racing needs its stars to run for as long as possible This one I think is is a real key Because you know to promote this Any male horse retired to breed As a four year old may only Breed 50 may only be bred to 50 mares If stallion owners want to jack up stud fees to compensate For the restriction that's fine we'll let the market determine If that works and we'll see you know what I mean If you made some uh, change like this you'll see how The market determines but This is a key because as soon as people Like this year was One for example um and it was a little bit unlucky, but like we got a little bit of buzz with the maximum security, country house, with war of will, and then we just didn't see them run. And there were horses that got hurt, and it wasn't quite like retiring. But it just seems like every time there's some good buzz, a horse um, has a nice year and ends it with a, a Breeders' Cup win, or they kind of stamp themselves as a really big force heading into the next year, and then now we kind of see them run in maybe the Pegasus, and then they're done. Exactly. And mind you, this change isn't going to keep an American Pharaoh or a Justify on the racetrack as a four-year-old. It's just not going to happen. You can set the sky is the limit as far as their stud fee is concerned. They're going to find 50 mares to breed to, and it's going to be worth their while to retire the horse rather than having to pay the insurance premiums to keep the horse on the track. What I'm looking for are more horses like Gunrunner, who were good as three-year-olds, very, very good as their four-year-old and five-year-old seasons keep going. Those are the horses that I want to keep in training, that I want to keep on the track, and that I want to be able to point a casual fan to and say, oh, look, one of the best horses in training is running. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's capable of doing. You want to be there. Right now, if I asked you, what horses do we have in training that are doing this right now that are going to make their next starts on American soil? Gino, it's a short list. Yeah, it is. And we're coming off a year where it didn't feel like the 
you know, like the the younger horses that are turning older have been quite. It's we're just kind of getting into a weird space um, too. And this these these points are key because it just feels like it's it's way more about breeding and less about the actual time of the years that are on the racetrack. And and that's not good for the overall well being of the sport. And we understand that's the thing. Like all of these, we're, we're not expecting like boom, you flip a switch with a lot of these. And that's why I, I know like I like how into most of them you even write. We'll let the market determine if it works. You know, we'll, this is kind of like going to be on a, a no no idea is a bad idea. Like this is kind of going to be set and go because there's no perfect one catch all solution. That's why you had to go through fifty different things here of like, okay, if we do this, then this might lead into this, and if we do this, then this might need lead into this. And so now we get to number eight, where we're commissioning a long term study on race day medications by an impartial, unbiased group of equine scientists and medical professionals. My only Concerned with this on the bottom part is like, can we find these? I think I think we probably can. It's just we we get kind of caught up in like, oh, there's a board and there's some vets that work for some people here, and so everyone's kind of got their own interest a lot of the times. My thing is, I think there is a middle ground nobody is touching on between race day medications are killing the sport. We can't have anything there. No horse can run on them on one side, and then on the other side, going horses bleed and LASIK stops it. I refuse to believe European horses simply don't bleed. Horses bleed. It happens. What I want is a long-term study by people who know what they're talking about that have minimal business interests to be able to say, okay, here's what we can find. Here's what we can recommend. And my ninth thing here is the fact that all jurisdictions are going to follow the rules that they lay out. The same situations for race medications in California are going to apply in New York. They're going to apply in Kentucky. They're going to apply in Florida. Every track across the country that wants safety accreditation, which is another key to a couple of other things that I'll get to, are going to follow the same rules. And that to me is huge because the less ambiguity about the rules that there is, 100%. the more transparency that there is and the better confidence levels people will have in betting on the sport. And and we'll get to that And it's it's like later down the list The transparency is key Is one of the points And to me That's what this This in, Like Entire thing is all about I think And, it, and it's on all of the levels Andrew Because we want transparency As We're fans Betters Customers that, That's what we are You know We're someone who's going to be betting our own money We like this We put Thousands of hours And a lot of us You know Our whole lives Years And Portions of our lives dedicated to covering the sport, promoting the sport, betting the sport, analyzing the sport. We want, and everybody wants, transparency from the stewards, the track officials, and the racing officials, and like the leaders of the sport, the handicappers, and the analysts, from the owners to the trainers to the jockeys. It's really on all levels, right? And that's why that I think that was like the real key to all of this is about transparency because now we get to it's like some of the other medication ones. Um, if you're hor- if you're a horseman and your horse needs Lasix or another medication to treat a legitimate issue, your horse goes on a list maintained by the neutral party. I like that. That seems that seems great, right? Um, this this happens in like in other sports too, where there are banned substances and lists and stuff like that. But if players have injuries or ailments or certain things like that, they're okay or disease or you know sickness or something like that. Like a lot of times you're able to. That's fine. Like as long as they're aware of that, if that shows up, that's fine. If your horse needs Lasix or another medication Because you think it's a performance enhancer You can go train somewhere else Absolutely, it's not necessary for horses that don't need it And then the number 12 one um, The medication Like fines Or anytime somebody has like a 
um, and overage. I mean, we we see these fines, and and they are, to be honest, they're pretty pathetic. I mean, we see five hundred dollars, two fifty, a thousand dollars at max. Like, I mean, if if that if you're doing something wrong and the fine is that, like, what incentive is it to not keep doing it wrong? This is the thing that I remember more than anything else. A couple of years ago, Bill Mott, whose medication record is as spotless as any trainer in the game, had an issue with a horse by the name of Saratoga Snacks, where the horse tested positive for some substance. I forget what it was. The punishment was, I believe, a minuscule fine and maybe a 10-day suspension. Bill Mott fought it. There were people in horse racing that said, Bill, Why the heck are you fighting this? This is not really a punishment. Let it go. There's something wrong with that. And that's not the game that inspires confidence in the betting public, Mm -hmm. especially when there's so much negative publicity out there about the unsoundness of horses and any other number of things that you can shake a stick at. We need to have punishments with teeth, and they need to act as deterrents. And the next couple are kind of like in the same sense uh, Violations get grouped into minor and major infractions Minor infractions when you're thinking like small overages They're met by increasing fines with the fifth violation And those beyond that being met with 30 day suspensions That sounds good um, 14 major infractions are met by suspensions of 60 days, 6 months, and 1 year Followed by a lifetime ban for the fourth I, I'm I'm with you because that giving you chances We are not saying that um, you can't make a mistake here or there, but you just cannot do this over and over and over and over and over again. We just can't, we just can't have that nowadays. Things and it, it'll continue on to like another one of your points with the optics change. Optics matter when times change. Things have to change. We 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 just whether or not it, it's everybody likes it, whether or not it's completely right or wrong. You can't say the same things you could say 20 years ago Society changes, culture changes Everything changes, we have to change with it Horse racing has done a really bad job Of modernizing itself um, We have to just continue to do a lot better In, the, in, in this sense too uh, National board of vets and horsemen get to decide Which substances fit into which categories And the standards apply to all tracks As part of the NTRA safety accreditation program Andrew, you know, we're not talking about A million racetracks out there Every year there's like less and less racetracks There's no reason that there cannot be a set of rules that everybody abides by. Precisely. Especially when you get situations where a trainer gets in trouble somewhere and they're not really facing any punishment. They just go to a different circuit. I mean, take a look at what happened at Santa Anita last winter with all of the trainers that went to Oaklawn. And that's a situation that should not occur. There should be uniform standards. Punishments in place they are the same everywhere And it's a situation where everybody's playing by the same rules I realize that probably sounds a bit idealistic And there are probably people listening that say Oh my goodness, this guy is an idiot This could never possibly happen If racing's going to survive It has, it to. has to Okay, that was scary Let's yeah. try never to do that again <laughs> um, And so yeah, as we continue on the uh, safety accreditation program continues regulation pertaining to fouls and disqualifications. Same type of thing, which will be drafted on the advice of jockeys, trainers, and stewards. Yeah, that, that's something that doesn't seem like it would be too difficult. Like we see in other countries, this happens very easily. We see the way that um, the technology, I mean, with the technology that is out there, it's pretty crazy that when there's an inquiry or a disqualification or something like that, it takes so long. It just, it, it shouldn't be so. Uh, obscure like it, it shouldn't be so Like left to imagination or Left to someone's judgment it really should Be a lot more clear cut here what's a foul What's not a foul 
do you know, one of our friends, Rich Perloff said this, I believe it was rich. Maybe it was Simon Bray who said racing is the only sport where after the officials throw a flag, they discuss with the athletes involved to determine if there was a penalty. Yeah. I understand that that's simplifying things a lot, maybe a little too much, but at the same time, that's not without merit. We need some sort of uniform standard because, and we're going to get to this. If I ask people in four different states, what is a foul that merits disqualification? I'm going to get four different answers. And that's not right. Yeah. And and that's the biggest issue that people have that I see what what the the gripe of the fans because again all of this like I I'm like it doesn't matter I got we need owners we need trainers we need horses we need jockeys we need everyone but if there's no betters there's no game there's no customers if everybody gets sour it goes away there's no more racing you know plain and simple so the, we always have to remember like what we're doing is for the betters it's for the customers like they have to feel like this is all. Um, an honest game uh, on the up and up everything's right you know and it's it it's hard um sometimes when when we see things that have happened like the last couple of years so and we see just the inconsistency because what happens on a tuesday doesn't happen in the kentucky derby you know what happens on like a sleepy wednesday and that kind of is number 18 same rules apply to all races regardless of status we're not making sessions in grade one events just because more eyes are on us we we can't um if if every you know year there's going to be like a new rule or, or new changes that are enforced and that have to start at a certain point, I can I can get with that, right? Like you, we watch sports and then some years like you know this this year they're gonna in the NBA uh, there's not gonna be as much hand checking, so the the officials are gonna crack down on that. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Then that starts the next year and then that becomes like. Overall consistent for everyone But it cannot be what just happened Is different than what happens And it's like with the NFL where I think a lot of people And and how poorly the NFL has been officiated this year And with the catch the last couple years And what's a catch, what's not A lot of people lose faith, man You bet some of these games and it's like a bad call at the end of the game Or you're involved in a big pick four Or a big pick five or a big pick six And you get DQ'd out of one Or you're someone who, who bet maximum security And you weren't Thinking that he was going to come down because you probably don't see a lot of horses that come out come down like it's it's hard to to get behind it and a lot of times when I'm when we're talking or I'm talking to my friends that are novice horse racing fans or that are just watching on the big days it's hard to explain it really is as poorly as the NFL is officiated sometimes here's the thing if you're an offensive lineman and you move early and the referees catch you your team loses five yards mm-hmm. if you're a catcher on a baseball you know team, that. And you move out in front of the batter. It's catcher's interference. Batter gets first base. You know this stuff. Whether or not we agree or disagree on certain disqualifications with regard to the likes of maximum security or others, I'd argue that's irrelevant. The fact is, what is a foul that merits the disqualification is a question that right now doesn't have one clear answer and we need to get that one clear answer whatever it is there's a lot of people out there who are saying oh let's adopt the category one rules whatever be an improvement over what we've got right now and i don't even know to be honest what a lot of the category one rules are i just know that it's a set of rules that everyone knows exists and in general abides by to me that sounds like an improvement if a number nineteen, if a track chooses not to comply with rules pertaining to overages and disqualifications, they will not earn safety accreditation, and it sacrifices graded status for all stakes races as well. Yeah, that makes sense. You know that 
that seems good. And number 20 is one that I'll reference. I've referenced a few times and no number 37, the transparency is key is one that I'll reference all throughout optics matter. It's key right now. Things have to be different because of what had happened at Santa Anita for what last year, for whatever the reason be, whether it be a, a bad racetrack, whether it be just total sheer absurd, unlucky, like weather, unfortunate, a bad, uh, a group of, of horses that might not have been 100% sound, right? Whatever combinations it could have been, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's now that there has to be changes and that the optics have to matter going forward. Precisely. We're in a different world right now. And that does not mean that we have to kowtow to certain special interest groups. Nope. And we'll get to that in a little bit. It's yeah, simply a matter of, it's a matter of being able to win over the undecideds about racing. And right now, with certain strategies that are out there, we're not doing that. There are some efforts that are well-intentioned, but nobody outside of a racetrack is seeing them. And we don't need to win over those people. We have those people already. We need to win over the undecideds who right now are only seeing what groups like PETA and Horse Racing Wrongs are putting out there because their strategies are better than ours. Yeah, no organization whose stated goal uh, or any trainer found to have sent a thoroughbred from a track to a slaughter pipeline gets booted from the game. No exceptions. That's pretty uh, self-explanatory there. I think we all agree on that one. No organization whose stated goal is to end horse racing gets to help uh, make decisions within the sport. And that's kind of the next few, which, I mean, we're talking about PETA in in particular and and other organizations. But, you know, this is number 23. If organizations have strategies to hit racing hard, we will hit Back harder the days of the sport being a Punching bag for well coordinated attack campaigns Are done completely agree And it and it's made clear that horses on racetracks Get far better care than the cats and the dogs at shelter One by one group that euthanizes thousands Of them on a yearly basis It 100% agree here We there's no reason To When it comes to this There's no like fluff There's no um, BS when it comes to These horses on the racetracks for the most part get very good care and like anything there are going to be bad examples that we can use they're going to be really good examples that we can use we can don't have to pretend like the bad examples don't exist and we don't have to um completely throw them you know we, we have to understand that they're there and like you said it's a no zero tolerance policy for that but it, no matter what you do there are going to be bad sides of any sport organization team Company, you name it. Um, we've—I was gonna say—it's just—it's—it's been—it's been, it's been a, a rough year as far as or, uh, with dealing with organization like PETA, and it's kind of hard to fight back when things are going going poorly. We just have—I think we have to, like you're saying, we have to like figure out what's the best approach, what's the best way to fight back. Credit where it is due. There are organizations at Santa Anita that are filled with horsemen, horsewomen, people who care about the game. That are running counter protests and I think doing a pretty good job. I do too. Yeah, O'Neill, Doug O'Neill is, is is like is heavy in that, and they're out there in the mornings. And that's the thing. Like nothing that anybody says when they're is when they're you know punching back is false. They're all out there. They've sacrificed their life for these animals. They will do anything for these animals. They love them um, just like we do with any of our pets, dogs, cats, any of them. You know. So I agree. There are some. There are some positive things. I would just like to see. I, 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 this is just one of the ones that was hard for me because I just don't know, you know, like what's. I guess there really is no like right. This is the only answer, you know. Well, for starters, we can stop rolling out the red carpet for them to make decisions at Santa Anita. Yeah. 
I mean, that that sh- is a should not occur. When PETA's stated goal is to end horse racing, why are we letting them help run horse racing? Like, that that's a does not compute for me. And I understand that it's a tricky political situation. I understand there's a lot of landmines there. But to me, that just seems like a horrible tactical blunder. And I sincerely hope it doesn't wind up costing Santa Anita a lot in the long term. So we're up to 25, 25. Uh, 25. It's also clear that the head of a prominent organization striving for the extinction of horses has no problem profiting of, off of animals when he put the end products of them on pizzas sold at his restaurants. Yeah, it's like we can all uh, we can all point fingers, but it, we dig a little and we do a little research and we find that everybody's uh, um, can be very hypocritical at times. So, um, yeah, if, if you're if you're not perfect, I wouldn't. Uh, Throw stones at those who have sinned, right? Uh, if you There's were with something it. about glass houses, there something, to be sure. something about and that. Ju- just to, just to make this clear, this is the head of horse racing wrongs that in the past ran a pizzeria, had no problem putting animals on his pizza, but all of a sudden you put horse racing involved, and he's got a gigantic issue with it. To me, honestly, a lot of his stuff reads like he went to the track once, was alive for six out of six in a pick six, got beat. And is going on a temper tantrum about it years later. That's how it reads to me. And I understand that there are people out there that do not like horse racing. And you know what? That's their right. I understand that there are reasons not to like racing. And I'll accept that for sure. I will talk about that until until the cows come home, basically. But when you go after people in the manner that this guy has, which, to be blunt, is nothing short of rude and disrespectful... I'm not going to have respect for the guy and I'm not going to have respect for what he says and how he conducts himself because to be blunt, he doesn't deserve that. And we're reopening the Hill at Santa Anita. I agree. One of the things that was unfortunate about what happened last year at Santa Anita, there were some scapegoats, right? There were some people and I think some things in particular, like the downhill course that got blamed for things when, when you really dig into it. They didn't have a, really anything to do with the problem. Um, we're opening, we're reopening Hialeah Park by any means necessary. That's number twenty-seven, and number twenty-eight. We're issuing moratoriums on the extension of meats at Saratoga and Del Mar. Boutique meats are boutique meats for a reason. Hey, man, if if for no other reason, it's expensive, right? Like, it, I don't think people realize how expensive it is to try to run a meet there again when you, you know um, through another month, six weeks of the year. When that's tough to find like housing for a lot of people, for your grooms, for your valets, for your hot walkers, for, um, you know, owners who want to come into town or for trainers who have families. It's, it's one thing when it's in the summer, when kids aren't in school, when you can take a little time off work, but that's, it's hard to do. Um, we've seen the November meet at Del Mar. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to do. And I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say it. They've stepped up and, and Southern California racing like needed Delmar, they needed another place to run because unfortunately Los Alamitos without the turf course, like they just don't get the support they deserve. But I'm with you. It's like we don't want to get the oversaturation for some of these really great things left because it dilutes it. Exactly. If something is special in the short time it's there, the key isn't overexposing it. The key is keeping it special so that it maintains its appeal, not just for betters, but for people that are discovering the sport for the first time. I grew up an hour and a half south of Saratoga. 
Saratoga is a cathedral. It's one of the few cathedrals horse racing has left. If I had grown up an hour and a half away from insert whatever D or E level track here you, that you want, who knows if I'm attracted to horse racing as much as I am or as much as I was when I was a kid. It's about preserving the value of these places. And unfortunately, when coming up against the value of the almighty dollar in the eyes of people that might not necessarily have the best interests of one venue at hand when they're looking at the bottom line of their organizations, it's, it's a struggle. And I have to tell you when Saratoga mulled over extending their meet, I was really happy. They kept it at 40 days and went to five days a week. It's a nice compromise. I think it's fine the way it is now, but I'm shuddering at the thought of it potentially opening up in early July or even my goodness, even in June, that, that to me just seems like overkill. And it seems like too much of a good thing winding up being a bad thing. Like 29 and 30, this is one of the most frustrating things because it just like your whole list is like built upon like four or five things that are the most frustrating to fans. Like, and it all comes down to, you know, transparency. We'd like to see like, um, you know, people that break the rules have to pay for it. We'd like to see like, just, Actually know what's going on all the time It would be nice to have a little bit more information and we don't, That we don't have to pay a whole ton for But this one, this one is so simple The post times I mean, and I'm going to give a shout out to Matt On Twitter, at Munnings24 On Twitter, he actually just did Exactly this, tracks will work together To coordinate post times whenever it is feasible to do so Instead of fighting each other for the same Gambling dollars, we're creating more Opportunities for churn Now I will say that Through the years of working at TVG most tracks, and in particular, the smaller race tracks are really good about this because they get it. They understand. We would call them a lot of times over our producers and say, hey, we have three races running right now. If you hold your race for five minutes, we'll give you like two minutes of coverage leading up to your race. You'll get a little more money. And a lot of times those small tracks would say, absolutely, they get it. Sure. You know, we'll wait. We'll back off a little bit. And what Matt did at Munnings 24 on December the 27th, he went through all of the Post times from all of the different racetracks And he set it up Where everybody could be off of each other By about 5 minutes And then this comes down to number 30 Post time means post time Barring emergency situations Which are waiting for ambulances, technicals Or starting gate technical issues, starting gate malfunctions uh, Every effort must be made To run their races at listed times And this This is something that Hurts churn it hurts people's bankroll. It hurts people who are really like looking at a big day of racing, you know, and we're what we're talking about in particular, I think, are like the Saturdays and Sundays. Like, you know, it's even worse during the week when there's less tracks running and they run right on top of each other. That's just like eye rolling and like head scratching. But on, on the big days, on Saturdays, where it's like, okay, these are multiple tracks that are owned by the same people, or there are a couple really big races going, you know, right now that everybody wants to watch the both of them. Like do we really have to run them At the exact same time It's like When we're watching it It's almost like they're trying to do it Instead of trying to not do it Right <laughs> Like it's I sometimes like, Are they really trying to run the races at the exact same time Gino we both know That the people listening out there aren't idiots They're smart people They know what track we're talking about here It's the same track that always Pops up and it's frustrating. When I was at TVG, there was one instance where Gulfstream Park, at least it seemed like deliberately, ran the first two or three races of their card. And these were maiden claimers. These were not good races. 
they deliberately ran them on top of Group 1 multi-million dollar races from Dubai World Cup Day. Who does that help? Yeah, It helps no one. It doesn't help you all that much. It makes you look, to be honest, kind of stupid. Yep. It doesn't help the other track for sure. It doesn't help TVG because the producers in back are scrambling, wondering, oh, my goodness, what the heck are we going to do? Why do we have to deal with this? It's a no-win situation that should really be avoided unless you're talking about situations like the ones I outline in point 31, which I think is actually a really nice way to tie everything together to where, look, if you want to drag a couple of minutes, that's fine. You're going to pay for it, and we're going to give you the out of potentially having a little good PR. Yeah, so penalties for post-time violations or mandatory donations to Thoroughbred Aftercare Foundation. So if you want to set up a day where you're intentionally dragging your races, you, you're going to be donating, and it's going to look good on you for PR purposes. That's fine. At least some somebody's getting something out of this, right? And and, and more so because I, I, it's just a common misnomer. Yeah, you wait a little bit, you're going to get a little bit more money. But I think, and you're talking about Gulfstream in particular, like it's turned a lot of people off. To it, you know, there are a lot of betters that are like, I ah, it's hard to build my schedule around playing golf stream races because I just don't know when the races are going to go off. If I'm going to be able to, how long my money is going to be tied up. If I'm playing like a multi race exotic, it could be tied up like an extra 15, 20 minutes, half an hour than I think sometimes when when it gets really bad. So it it's hard, man. We have schedules, you know, and that's the thing. Nowadays, it's not like. Unfortunately, like I think horse racing wants it to think where like, and we're just talking about horse racing. We're not talking about. Whatever whatever everybody else has Like horse racing is not just competing with You know other tracks anymore Each other They're competing with you know now sports betting They're competing with Netflix Just like your time in general You know everything is is kind of competing So if it's like if if you're gonna Kind of smack me in the face and treat me stupid A little bit it's like okay I'll just go spend my money And, and my time you know elsewhere Um we move on To 32 Fans that go to the track will receive vouchers at the gate you know, and and a couple of these coming up that you have, like I even I like your idea, and I think we could even go farther with this. Like, there's fans that go to the track will receive vouchers at the gate. Grandstand admission is good for a five dollar voucher. Clubhouse admission is good for a, a ten dollar voucher. I like this, and I think there's zero reason to me, unless you're going to be doing something like this where it's like a package, and you're paying five bucks to get in, and you're getting a program, and you're getting a five dollar voucher, and you're getting you know like a basic you know basic program to get in if you want to pay for you know. You know, a clubhouse or you know, turf club or whatever it is, that's fine. You're gonna pay more. But there's no reason that the average person can't walk into the racetrack for free. And and I or just a, it it should not cost you a whole lot to get in there, period. Because the point that you're you're making in you know 33 is that these vouchers are good for wagering and can only and cannot be cashed out. I love that. But the the real point is, if a few first time trackers make money with their first bets, we're convincing them to bet their winnings back, stay involved in the sport, and most importantly, the future of the game. Come back with their friends. I'm telling you, they're you know growing up. I'm sure you probably had this too. A lot of times when people would come to the racetrack with me, I loved bringing my friends, people that hadn't come. You're kind of teaching them about it. You play a ticket together. Um, you're showing them what you're, you know, when looking through the past performances, kind of teaching them a little bit about it. And it was always a few that it seemed like they won that first time. And then every time they came back, they would win. We know it's not like that. And then there were a couple that didn't win their first time and they kind of had bad luck. But those few that won the first time, they came 
10 times more than the other few that lost And you know we can't create the lo- the, the winning for everyone But it, it just give people an opportunity Even if it's just 5 bucks to win to, to, to kind of feel it To experience it And it's going to keep them coming back When you get in the door and you feel like you're already Get punched in the face and you spent 40 bucks It's like damn I don't really have that much left to bet I've got two points to make here. The first is that a friend of mine in the business, he handicapped for Capital O to be a New York guy named Tom Amello, is huge in fan education, and he has this concept pegged to a science. His theory is based on making sure people either win or have fun while they're losing. I mean, take a look at the number of gamblers that are in Las Vegas. They go there, they lose their shirts, they always come back because they had fun while they lost. Those are the experiences that we need to create. And that leads into the second part, which my father is going to appreciate because he kept saying this every time I was a kid. I would always roll my eyes at him. And now I understand that he's right. If you go to a racetrack and you're driving there, you're in for what? $10 to park, whatever gas money costs, plus admission, plus whatever it costs to either stock your cooler or buy lunch or drinks at the track. You're in for what? 50, 60 bucks before you even place a bet. Let's do something for the people that are making the extra effort to come out as opposed to sitting on their couch where the tracks don't get as much of the handle. Let's do something for these people and let's do something to keep them coming back. $5 for grandstand admission. It doesn't seem like much, but if you're a first time track goer, you take that $5 voucher, you go, you bet an even money shot and the horse wins by five or six lengths. Sure. You're going to bet that money back. Yeah. It's just, it makes so much sense on so many levels When tracks run mystery voucher promotions, fans eat it up. I don't understand why we can't do this on a consistent basis. And we look at number 34 now. We're optimizing the betting experience to make it easier for new players to understand what's going on. I think this all like ties in with fan education too. If racing is marketed as the original fantasy sport with a new draft taking place every 30 minutes, how much easier that to understand than a, a set of past performances that to a racing neophyte may as well be Egyptian hieroglyphics. I think this this one to me is kind of where racing it's 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 hard right now too because um, racing and I think it's a little bit harder with some of the niche uh, sports because you want to have to do you want to try to serve a couple masters at the same time right you want to make sure that you're 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 not dumbing it down things down so much that you don't turn off your your longtime players your big betters your your fans that have watched you for forever but you don't want to be so inside baseball that somebody turns on the tv and immediately is like what the hell is this guy saying because this is something that i myself get into uh an issue with sometimes with like i'll talk to a friend or someone that doesn't know the track and and i think i've learned through the years of okay okay what level are we are like how like is someone gonna even understand the terminology that i'm saying right now you know what I mean? Like this is like a different language you're speaking. If you come into horse racing, like that that's what's difficult too. You can pick up like football, you know, or like watch, understand a little bit more like baseball, basketball. You kind of can get even if you're someone that's never been involved in it. But when someone starts talking about horse racing and furlongs and and lengths sometimes and things that you're like, I, I've never heard this in other in, in other other like walks of life, it does get a little tricky. So for me, like this is even something that I've noticed with, you know, whenever we see a horse racing TV show. You know, uh, luck is the one, or or jockeys, or or some of those that have been on, because a lot of times it's like, okay, is this pointed out horse racing people, or is this pointed at the greater audience to kind of 
you know, it's like you're you're novice person. That's that's to me one of the issues that horse racing has kind of had, and I think it's tough to to serve both of those when you're still you know like a small a small niche sport right now. Precisely. And you hit the nail on the head with regard to fan education. That's a huge thing. The other thing that I think is obvious to anybody that's been in the game for a while, there's a lot of horse racing 101 materials out there. If you want to know a little bit about horse racing, there are resources you can use. There are complete idiots guides to betting on horse racing. Mm -hmm. There's betting for dummies, whatever you'd like. There's that. There's a lot of horse racing, say, 301 or 401 level stuff out there. You look at all the handicapping books that are out there. You read some of the handicapping discussions and game theory discussions that are on social media. You can get lost in that stuff, and that's fine. There's no handicapping 201 level stuff out there, and that's one of the things that I really strive to do with everything that I produce. I want to try to be able to make it so that people of any skill level are able to at least take something out of it and learn something. Because if you can learn something while you're doing it and you apply it to something that you do in the future, then it's productive and it keeps people coming back. And the more you can use that, the more you're likely to bet the more fun you're likely to have. And if you catch a couple of tickets doing that, eventually people are going to say, hey, what are you doing? And that's when you can get new fans in the game. This is nothing revolutionary, but it's something that's not being done nearly as much. And if I'm doing that for at least one or two people, I'm considering that a win. 100%. I I love that too. The the why, that's one thing I've always... I've always tried to do is the and I've always asked that question why you know what I mean when who who you like this horse why that's always a, what I want to know you like this game you like this team you like this why that, that's kind of what that's what G said this show is is like the why from the TV shows to everything that we we break down it's it's the the why I really uh I really like what we're getting through here so now we're up to thirty five and I mean this is just a plain and simple one now Andrew just like I was talking about with so much other Entertainment out there Incredible entertainment Streaming services And now sports betting on the national landscape Going to be legal State by state by state You know kind of like one at a time we're getting there We have to set some national standards For takeout and and breakage We have to just say Hey nobody can go higher than this 18-20% I like what you said here 18% on win play show bets 20% on exotics I mean I don't see why any of these racetracks can't even go a little less than that. When we, whenever we see, which is like your number thirty-six um, tracks, encouraged to find new racing, new wagers to try. Not all of them will work. Sure, like horse racing roulette, that was awful, and <laughs> and maybe we need to just get uh, some advice and some word of all it does is, hey, reach out to some gamblers, reach out to some people that you know, and just ask them. You know, do a little trial and error with some of these wagers. See, is this something that you would? Plays is something that you would be interested in playing repeatedly, and it seems like you know you mentioned the Stronic Five. It's a low takeout pick five. Any seems like any time we're getting a low takeout pick five or a low takeout pick four or something with low takeout at one of these tracks, even if it's a harder wager to hit, pick four, a pick five, that's fine. It gives people a little bit more incentive. I, we were even talking about this the other day. I, you know, I'm I'm not, and you're not someone who's betting thousands of dollars a day. You know, we're not somebody who has like massive, massive, massive bankrolls either. It's hard sometimes to put your entire bankroll into a low takeout, into like one sequence. But I feel a lot better about doing it when I know that those sequences have low takeout and are going to give me a little bit more of a bang for my buck. You know, generally, let's say a few years ago, maybe I spend 40% of my bankroll on a pick five sequence. 
you know, pick four. Now I'm looking at that sequence and it's a low takeout sequence, and I'm going, you know what? I'm better off hitting like one or two of these a week than hitting for little every day. Maybe I put 60% of my bankroll into this. It it makes me feel better about the money that I'm investing. Sure. And I'm going to take this point by point here. I understand that there are some people who even think that the 18% and 20% rates that I suggested were too high. I know Andy Asaro, who has a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions, good for the game, has said that he wants 12%. I think that's that's too low. I want to make sure racetracks stay in business. And ultimately, if racetracks can't stay in business, it really doesn't matter what we're negotiating for here. Uh, I think 18 to 20 is a compromise position. I think that works. If we can lock that in for a couple of years and see where we're at in a couple of years, we'll go from there. But I think that's a good starting point. And with regard to the new wagers to try, I'm all for quirky things. I like low takeout pick fives. The Stronic five, I believe, is a dollar bet. That's a little steep for me, but I understand what they're trying to do. And if you can play that with a couple of singles, all of a sudden you can still create a ticket that's playable, isn't going to cost you an arm and a leg, and you've got a shot at a nice score. I like 20-cent pick fours at Woodbine, for instance. If you get big fields, suddenly the 20-cent denomination isn't all that different from a 50-cent denomination elsewhere where there are smaller fields. If you can capitalize on something that has some appeal that maybe only works at one or two tracks, I think you do it. Now, horse racing roulette, that was, we could go on about how bad of an idea that was and how there were certain races at Gulfstream and Santa Anita where the horse racing roulette pool was, I kid you not, less than $20. Chances are there have been some horse racing roulette wagers that swept the pool. And I'm not making that up, but you got to try things. And by the way, if any of you read it and got the magic school bus reference at the end with taking chances, making mistakes and getting messy, more power to you. Miss Frizzle, uh, transparency (laughs) is key. 37. This is to me like what this entire thing was about. And this is what all of us as customers, we're betters. We are customers. We just want, and I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. At all levels, from the stewards, whether it be with the disqualifications of the races and um, anything involving owners and trainers and decisions that they have to make with, um, you know, fines and with suspensions and things like that. We want to know that the track officials and those stewards are all doing what's best for the customer to keep bringing us back. It feels like in a lot of businesses, you know, almost every business, what's the motto? The customer's always right. It sure doesn't feel like that in horse racing. It sure feels like a lot of time they tell us that we're wrong with the things that we want and the things that we've asked for. Um, the analysts and the handicappers, you know, I don't think this is like a big thing, but I see people that they want to know that the people that are talking to them are people that have put in their time and their effort that are, are educated, that have a background in this, that have, um, are going to be investing their own money as well, you know, and that are not just kind of talking to, to, to hear themselves speak. We want to know that the owners are, you know, are on the up and up. They're doing what's right for the horse. We want to know that the trainers are doing what's right for the horse. We want to know that the jockeys, you know, are doing what's right in the race and that they're trying to win every race or doing, you know, com- completing the instructions that the trainer gave them about each horse. You know, it sounds weird. Some races you don't really necessarily want to win. It's not that you don't want to win, but maybe it's not you're, as you're progressing a horse. That's different than, I, I think, you know, fixing a race or something like that. We need transparency. At all levels. A freaking men. If you take anybody out there that's never been to a racetrack and you ask them, hey, would you ever bet on a horse race? 
chances are you're going to get a couple of people saying, nah, those are fixed. Now, some of those are due to factors horse racing can't control. If you've never seen The Sting, I urge you to see that movie. It's fantastic. You get movies like that out there that tend to give racing a dramatized image, and that's one thing. But then you get stuff that happens that makes you question a lot about what's going on as far as transparency being key. That is at all levels. All we're asking for is a fair shake. And again, to have fun while losing. If I feel like I'm getting hosed, Chances are, if I'm a first-time track goer, I'm not coming back, and my wagering money's going elsewhere. We can't afford to lose those people right now. Losing money is funny. Like, losing money's fine, right? It's the cost of, of entertainment that we're going to pay. And and I'm, if I go to the track, some of my friends, and I have a uh, a day where I lose some money, that, that's fine. It's just it's the you know the the questionable DQs or the weird changes um, that kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth. I even wrote like a few things down, you know. Um, as far as this kind of goes down And we'll hit this in a few when we get to like the, the early 40s But you know even transparency with things like You know racetrack cancellations Surface changes um, it, it, Sometimes we see a shady things happen In like pick six jackpot carryovers Where the races have started And then the sequence changes And now there's no way to hit. Like all of those things We need to be on the up and up Because I'm Nobody's perfect Nothing's perfect right Nobody's gonna pretend like Oh sure everything's gonna be great Every day all the time But if there is transparency If we're at least being honest I can accept that there are gonna be mistakes There are gonna be issues There are gonna be things that don't go my way As long as I On a daily basis am seeing what's happening Then I'm not gonna be As I'm not gonna be questioning The uh, the sincerity of any of it No not at all All we're asking for is A fair shot at any level. And yep. when you get situations where track officials know rain is coming, they have radar that say rain is going to be here in a half an hour, and you've got a pick four starting, and you know that this is a rainstorm that's going to knock races off the turf, why aren't you taking races off the turf before the sequence starts? At that point, you get things like the all button being used and those knock the payout down significantly. And they kill you, by the way, if you decide to single a horse in a turf race, that race gets moved off the turf. And instead of hitting the single, you wind up only getting the all button once, whereas people that had no conviction in the race and bought it wind up getting the all button five or six times after scratches. So in the end, taking a stand actually penalizes you. There's so many situations like that, and we can go on and on and on, but that's something that should always be avoided. And transparency, again, needs to be key. If we can't explain something to someone that's never been to the racetrack before in a manner that they can understand it, chances are it's the wrong decision. Partner number 38, partnerships and owning horses are fun. Uh, not knowing how much of each horse is owned by the st- uh, which stakeholders grading, those numbers get published. These are all under transparency thing. I'm sure it's not easy for some of the uh, Eclipse Award voters when they're trying to vote for uh, the Eclipse Award for best owner. Also, when it seems like the last few years, it's all partnerships, combinations. Uh, everybody owns a little piece of this one. Everybody owns a little piece of that one. Uh, reasons for chainer changes gets published. That's great, especially with the uh, in parentheses. Run Happy's page would have been positively fascinating seeing the uh, the why on the uh, on the trainer change because a lot of times, you know, when we see a claim, that's fine. We know it's it was a, a horse was in a claiming race. They were up for they were up for the purchase, but when we see the the private 
move sometimes you want to know why it would be very interesting to know some of the whys uh in there and we just you know that's something that we would know in football and baseball and basketball if somebody changes teams or doesn't like the coach or the organization we we find those things out for the most part exactly and i'm going to take these a couple of points at a time the thing that you mentioned about eclipse awards and owners that's the reason i abstain from the odor category how am i supposed to judge if one owner who owns 100% of a horse that's going to be horse of the year is more worthy than another owner that owns, say, 20% of five grade one winners, what do I do? How am I supposed to figure that out? There are no guidelines. And this is a situation where I don't think anybody foresaw the explosion in partnerships that happened maybe about four or five years ago. And that's nobody's fault. But at the same time, this stuff is available for a lot of publicly traded major companies, we know how much of these companies each person or corporation owns. Why can't we do that with horses? I feel like that information should be readily available. And it's the same with reasons for trainer changes. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes you get horses that could ship from one circuit to another. Say an owner has a trainer at Golden Gate and a trainer at Santa Anita. Ship the Santa Anita horse up to Golden Gate, goes in the other trainer's barn. That's one thing. But there are certain instances where that would really benefit the public. And again, transparency being key. If that helps somebody make a lot of money, chances are they're going to keep coming back. We are up to the yeah the information part now and the data. Now we're up to number forty. Replays of each race run around the country are made available at the end of each racing day to all fans without restrictions. Period. I mean that that it's 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 amazing that in this day and age they're not. It really is. You know it's crazy. And we get to number forty-one. Equibase data is made available. To any individuals who want to use it for a small annual fee This prevents a repeat of the Handicapper saga And allows passionate fans another way to explore the sport Explore the sport Hey Netflix You know Prime Hulu um, I'm, I'm someone who now with this show I, I'm a subscription to The Athletic I have a subscription to Pro Football Focus To Football Outsiders I'm fine with paying 10 bucks a month for really good information. For information that is going to go above and beyond just the regular, you know, box score information. I'm completely fine with that. And I don't think people would have an issue with paying a monthly fee or a yearly fee. It's just that fee cannot be this much. Like I can't be having to pay that much more for my horse racing past performances than for the other like forms of entertainment, for the other like Analytics type data from any of these other websites that I like from football. It just it can't be that much more. Can I nutshell the handicapper saga that I mentioned? Please. Because I think it Please hits do. a lot of points. Uh, a developer by the name of Robin Howlett came up with this idea called handicapper, spelled handy H A N D Y capper, and it was a pretty simple open source app that used Equibase's data. It wasn't necessarily something that the developer was making money off of. It was just something that he did. He did it during his free time. He tinkered, and he came up with something that was pretty cool. I personally didn't use it, but I know some people that did, and they found it a pretty enjoyable thing. Equibase sent a cease and desist letter as opposed to trying to find some way in which to work with the developer. Now, Credit where it is due to T.D. Thornton at the Thoroughbred Daily News, 
for asking what I think is one of the best questions anyone in horse racing journalism has ever asked. He went to Equibase and Thornton asked, hey, listen, you've admitted that you think this is a really good idea. Instead of shutting this down, why didn't you have this person work for you? Yeah. Equibase didn't really have an answer. And that's what I want to eliminate. There's no reason to squash that stuff. Tracks, organizations, people in the game are all saying, we want to grow the game. We want to grow the game. We want to grow the game. Someone has an idea. Someone rolls something out. And all of a sudden, they recoil in disgust and say, you want us to do what? Over and over and over and over again, Gino, and it shouldn't happen. No, it's frustrating. And it's, again, it's like, it's at all levels. You know, it's with, um, it's at racetrack on smaller scales, and then it's on bigger scales with things like this, all the way up to the information. It's like, one thing I always try to do is, one thing that I know is I sure as hell don't know everything. And I know that the things that I, I think I know pretty well, I work really hard at, I try to be as informed at as possible, but the things that I don't know quite as well, I'm going to reach out to the people who do know and who are smarter than me and ask their opinions and kind of get their feel for things. And I wish racing did that a little bit more. It seems like the racing is the opposite in that they're scared of like the really smart people, somebody who has, you know, a, a different way of thinking that might change things and might, you know, have to take a step back and then take five steps forward. They don't want to change anything. And you know what, Andrew, if everything was going great and every year horse racing was continue to grow, continuing to grow and the handle was raising and everything was going better and there were more racetracks and other sports were going, hey, we need to do how horse racing's doing it, then I would say don't make any changes. But that is really far from the truth. You know, it's just not not the way that things have been the last decade, 15, 20 years in particular. So, um, yeah, it's it's. It's it's frustrating, and and I don't think people would have a problem with paying some. It's just you cannot have to pay six, seven, eight bucks for like a day's past performances. Um, it's just you having to like have accounts or all sorts of you know bet a certain amount of money to be able to watch replays or past performances or this or that. It's just the more information's out there, the more interest it's going to drive. It just plain and simple. It, it will. Um. We're going to move now to 42 Corporations are not individuals Um, And now 43 We will market the sport with both Respect for the customer and enthusiasm That as of now is usually Only reserved for big days This is key man like It's it's about the customer We have to respect them and even in 44 I like Those big days will market horses and the humans Above all else Uh, Music and fashion can play secondary roles Hey nobody's saying not to have a band bring you there Nobody's saying not to have a hat contest Nobody's saying not to have food trucks Nobody's saying not to do all of those things Those are great things Like you look at the NFL Football is hugely wildly popular They're having problems getting people to come to the stadium To watch games Because the experience at home is just so comfortable It's just so nice Like we we all love it there That's fine We have to remember that this is a gambling game This is a betting game and this is back to the fan education thing We don't want to Kind of smack our long term fans In the face a little bit 
We 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 want to be able to serve both, and I think there's plenty of way we can serve both where you can have some fun, you can teach people, you can educate them, you can do a little bit of both, and you can respect the horses who are the the focus. It's it's about the horse every time we're out there. It's about that that puzzle, right? The equine puzzle that we're all trying to figure out. Like that's what this is all about, and we need to do a better job of reminding people, hey, that's what this is about. Going back a little bit to the corporations or not individuals thing, just for the record, that is applying to point 41, which is the Equibase data is made available to individuals who want to use it for a small annual fee. If you're a big business and you're trying to make money off the data, you're going to pay for it. That's the difference that I was trying to make, just in sure. case that's not clear for anybody there, because we got hung up on point 41 for a little bit. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to tie up that loose end. As far as marketing the sport correctly on, on some of its biggest days at all levels, Gino, if I say the words nice view, will you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. stop there. Yeah. Um, we, we, just, we just have to be better. You know, uh, it, it's simple. Uh, when it comes to this, we have to be better. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to uh, 45 now. We're getting down towards the end with just uh, four or five more. This has been a really, a really good uh, talk. I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy as we kind of so. dive, dived into so many of these different topics. Um, it's actually funny, too, because I, I wrote down uh, DraftKings. They're kind of in a little bit of a, a funny scandal right now with the, the Bachelorette yeah, winning and this and that. We'll see with the integrity of DraftKings. I'm curious to, to what happens with that in the next few days. Um, as we're talking about the the big days of horse race, horse emojis do not count as horses with within those marketing materials. Yeah, if we if there's a, a commercial, and the commercial is a bunch of like twenty something girls in like scantily clad clothing drinking, and that's the commercial, I think we need a little bit more. Mind you, there is a place for that. Sure, but at the same time, it doesn't grow the game. I'm not like I'm not a prude you know what I mean like I am no prude I'm no I don't mind I don't think there's the the key is that we keep hitting on is there's a place for some of for all this stuff right you have fun I'm not saying like this is this is all supposed to be fun right you're we're, we're all doing this for fun for entertainment to have a good time but it's like it's in anything right everything has to be time place put people in the best spot to succeed um, put people in the right roles Have people doing what would be the best For the track for the moving forward And I don't care if you're a guy Girl Old, young, fat Ugly, skinny, good looking You know I just If you've done your work If you care If you're prepared If you have you know done the time Like that, that's what matters I think that those are those are the people that you want to help put forward And we want to remember when it's the Breeders' Cup When it's the Kentucky Derby How difficult it is to, to, to get there You know, the stories I like the stories about the horses I like the stories about the people Those are fine I want to hear from people giving me You know, like we said Kind of right in the middle I don't want to be inside baseball with all the terminology But we want to know some betting stuff we see it on, you know, broadcast now. We get more and more next gen stats on the NFL. So there can be statistics and numbers and information that you explain to someone that they that they pick up and they and now moving forward they know what it is. Um, I think it's a fine line that we have to walk, but this is something that horse racing has to do. I think a much better job of doing. 
Now, before we move on, I do want to give credit where credit is due because there are some broadcasters for major entities that Excellent. do a terrific job Excellent. with this. Eddie and this Olszyk is, is a godsend. There's no that's like perfect. blanket with this. You know what I mean? There are plenty, and a lot of the, most of these people are people that we know, respect, and and I are good friends of ours. You know, it's just this is something that needs to be more of a uniform all over yes. the place. You know, yes. that that's really all it is. Eddie Olchek, Matt Bernier, Randy Moss. Terrific, astounding, love those guys. More of that. And I'm not saying there's not a place for any of the other auxiliary stuff that goes on because some of the things that draw these people to racetracks are part of the event. And I'm not immune to that. That's fine. I'm concerned with growing the game. And I don't think putting the event first and the horses second does that. Yep. We are up to number 46 now. If and when a horse breaks down, we will be honest, forthright, and not hold back details. You know what, Andrew? Horses are going to break down. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. There is no way, nothing, no set of safety rules, no synthetic racetracks, no change in courses, no change in whip rules or medication rules or any of that will stop the fact that a horse will break down from time to time. But the key is not... The, the real key is how do we respond to it How do we take care of it How do we inform, educate And make sure that it does not happen That it happens at the least as possible And that it doesn't happen again and again and again Horses are anatomically imperfect creatures And the amount of times you see the word colic pop up Is proof positive of that From an aerodynamic standpoint though You have times in a race Where a horse is running all out A thousand pound animal on legs, charitably speaking, the width of a solid table leg. And they're putting all 1,000 pounds of their weight, at times, on one leg. Stuff's going to happen. And the more we can educate the public as far as, okay, here's what happened. Here's how the horse is doing. Here's what we did to try to help. Here are our procedures. Some of it goes to transparency. Some of it goes to good crisis communications. To give you an idea... There was an incident a couple of weeks ago where a graded stakes winner trained by Todd Pletcher named Prince Lucky was pulled up in a graded stakes race. Hours later, do you know how much information was readily available? It wasn't a lot. And that's the situation that we need to avoid. I'm not saying that we need to put out a 20 page report as far as all this stuff is concerned, but the more that we can do as a rule to notify people of what's going on, if nothing else, then out of respect for what happened and out of respect for the fact that these people are going to be curious as far as what's going on, I I think that's the smart play. And I don't know anybody that has run some sort of enterprise like this who hid something to where it wound up being a good decision. Yeah, and there and there are some times like, and I see sometimes CVG does a really good job of this. Some tracks do a really good job of giving you the information anytime like a jockey or a horse goes down. Yeah, a lot of times we'll see the reporters like it's just another thing that's not difficult to be uniform. This should just be, this should just be like step one for everywhere. Like everywhere, everyone should be okay. Things that we need to find out to get the information out to the people. Is a jockey okay? What's the status on the jockey? Do we have any status on the horse? Whether this be positive or negative Two, don't give us any You know, conjecture We don't really care about your thoughts at the moment It's more of like, give me the facts Spit out the facts quickly And then that that the Get the correct information out 
Get it out to us quickly We want to know how the horse We want to know how the jock's doing Like those are the things that we need to know And I do think Yeah it's like it's one of those things Like I said it should just be boom It should just be the reaction at, at all places And I will say that TVG does it Especially when they're like live covering the races somewhere Or it's like a big day or or if there's a big day at, at most tracks But it like we can't have what happened With on like the Breeders' Cup Where we're not still like there was a Mongolian You know grooming thing We're still not sure what's going on afterwards And then things happen a little bit after And we could probably spend an entire podcast Discussing that one incident alone But this just kind of goes back to our whole like Transparency thing And this is really what it all comes down to Because it's going to be inevitable There are going to be some bad days There are going to be tough days for every owner, trainer, uh, jockey Like all of us as fans of the sport Nobody likes Nobody wants to see that happen ever Like that, that's the thing that frustrates me with Pete It's like nobody wants this to happen Nobody wants anything bad to happen I, I just don't understand why um, uh, Like a group like PETA has to Be kind of so Really clueless um, to, to like how they attack uh, We look to Number 47 If there are problems with breakdowns we'll find solutions Not scapegoats exactly Andrew You know they're go- because Why because there are going to be problems That's why it's we can't say well, if if this does happen, it's it's like you said, when it's 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 when it happens. Yeah, and going back a little bit here, to a certain degree, live TV is live TV, and there's going to be certain things that are going on. And for and I understand that I might be a little bit biased on this because he's a good friend of mine. Scott Hazelton's one of the best in the business at finding stuff out after a major situation happened. When California Chrome came home in the Belmont and it turned out that he was a little bit off, he was the first person or one of the first to report that he wound up grabbing a quarter at some point during the race. There are reporters out there and a lot of them working for a place we used to work for that have a lot of good people that are working there that do really good work with that sort of thing. It just needs to be the uniform standard and not something that we say, oh, hey, that was a really good thing. That should be the standard. And I know there are some people that are working very hard to try to make it the standard. Now, with regard to the solutions, not scapegoats thing, that goes back to the hill at Santa Anita. There were a couple of horses, one in particular, I'm not going to name. You can do the research if you want. They would have broken down on anything. And for the hill to get blamed as a result of that, that's just wrong. It's a case where we can't afford to take the lazy way out. And you had mentioned talking about PETA marketing stuff as people wanting horses to die and whatnot and thinking that was clueless. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on the clueless part. They're marketing to people who are going to agree with them. Yeah, no. And they're agreeing with them because that's the image that horse racing sometimes puts out there, whether it wants to or not. They're looking for the lowest common denominator, unfortunately. And it's up to the sport to be able to say, no, we're not doing this. Here's what we're doing. And going back to something else we talked about, that's why the counter protesters are necessary and why Team O'Neill should be credited for doing the job that they're doing with regard to saying, no, here's what's going on. Let's at least paint a complete picture here. And that's something that's necessary. And that's something that I felt the need to point out. Yeah. And I don't want to get into like any, any politics, but right. at all, I never, I never do. But what, what's scary is like the last, you know, five, six years or so, it's like, it's happened because in the political culture Things have become so like one way Or the other way and this is kind of like Creeped into everything and we just so Very rarely will sit down because like You know I'm reading this all through 50 with You I've had some where we've kind of Had different 
thoughts or philosophies on all of them But there's so few times where people can just kind of sit down and have like an educated decision Whenever you see people like battle on Twitter And it always ends up in, in kind of a fight And what's funny is, you know, even just like t- 10 years ago was when I started working at TVG And a lot of the people who I would interact with the most Are people that at the very beginning were kind of talking trash to me And then we would kind of feel each other out you hear one side, you hear the other side, and you end up going, "Oh, you know what? I didn't really know that, or I wasn't really." There's just not enough of that um, at, 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 in the world period right now, in, in like in our culture, enough of like two people discussing, having an educated discussion, say, "You know what? I still kind of am on my side, but I can see why you are there, and and just respecting one another." There's just not a lot, not a, a whole lot of that out there right now. No, no, there really isn't. And that's that's a bigger problem than just this. And we could have another podcast sure. talking about people's inability to meet in the middle on, on any number of situations. But it's a situation where we all want what's best for the horse. And in the, in my case, I have dealt with a number of people, including so, at least one really good friend of mine who said, look, I read this. A lot of this came across as overly idealistic, but points X, Y and Z you freaking nailed. And that's what I'm going for. Yeah. I don't necessarily need people to read this and, and be in lockstep with everything I'm talking about. All I'm looking to point out is the fact that there's a lot horse racing could be doing better without a ton of legwork being put into it. And we're at a time where the runway for implementing some of this stuff, I'm not saying it's short. I'm not saying it's perilous, but I can see the end of it from it's here. It's running out of time. We're running out of time. I mean, just there Every state that the sports betting, you know, and their takeouts low, and there's more options, and it's more fun, and every um, negative story that gets out there that turns off a few other people from horse racing, there needs to be kind of a shot in the in the arm to help it. You know, we we always joked and people talked about how you know a triple crown winner was going to save the sport, and and then there were some IRS kind of tax rules that did give the the handle a little bit of a boost, uh, both kind of. Coming off of 2017 um, After the second Triple Crown winner That we had in, in, in a short period of time But we there, There's a lot of little things That can Even if they don't and, and we have a few more So like number 48 we will effectively police ourselves So that government officials and lobbyists In their ears have as little reason as possible To attack the business completely agree There's no reason why we can't be policing ourselves In a more um, Honest way uh, even even where horse racing's at right now, before we hit your last two, even if we're not grabbing a bunch of new new fans, even if we're able to turn some of the fans that have left, that have been you know the ones that do have that bad taste in their mouth, that have been turned off by um, you know something they felt was dishonest or the lack of transparency, if we can show and just gain back some of the old fans, horse racing would be in great shape. Like we don't need to go out and and get millions and millions and millions of new people. And I think this is kind of what you were kind of even even striving with with the the barstool thing because you know like barstool like has their stick, you know, and I understand that everybody has a character to play. I I don't mind like. I don't agree with a lot of things that they do and say, but I don't mind a lot of their shtick. It's like it's very frat boy and things like that. And some things they put out are funny, this or that. You you can agree with it or not agree with with it. They do get a lot of clicks. They do get a lot of people that watch their videos and listen and look at their things. But I think what you're trying to say is like we don't even need a brand new fan base to be marketing to. We just have to do some of these things and bring back some of the people who we've turned off. 
I am the guy who came up with gimmick Andrew, which is the guy that a lot of people saw on Twitter got turned off by because I dropped 128 winners in a single Saratoga meet about as often as Al Bundy from married with children dropped four touchdowns in a single game. (laughs) I have no problem with shtick. The problem is shtick doesn't sell long-term No, and Bradley Weisbord said something about looking at the metrics in my experience. I've seen some of the metrics he's talking about, not all of them, but some. And a lot of what I'm seeing is when people like that get involved, there's a short-term boost and that's great. Those people don't come back. We need people that will come back. Let's get to the final few here. Uh, 49, we will foster environments with healthy debate, constructive criticism, hearty competition, or welcome and encourage. This is actually, we were talking about this before we even got to 49. A couple of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, racing is above all a paramutual game where betters compete with one another for money in the pools. You know, it's it's even a little bit different than, you know, just playing against the house. You know, it's not like, uh, it's it's a different kind of situation uh, than than some of the other wagering. So we gotta, we gotta keep that in mind. And yeah, like, there's so some of the people that I've I battled with and back and forth are some of the people that I respect their opinion the most and and I understand that um I learn and I and I can kind of take different things from them that you know probably something that I would have never thought about it's just a, a different kind of mindset and as we finish with 50 will not foster environments where for those who degrade certain parts of the population can spread their beliefs to others nor ones where those uh, opinions are valued more of those than people who have spent years in the business. And I, I think this is kind of what you were saying uh, um, with uh, with most of this and, and kind of how it started is that do we, when you're trying to, and it's, it's hard because when horse racing struggle, like I come, like I, like I get hundred percent get what, what Brad's saying too. You know what I mean? Like he's, he loves horse racing and he's saying like, Hey, we need to grow. Like this is a, like, maybe we need to get people out, people out here who, can move the needle a little bit because this has been one discussion that's been like a topic for a while in horse racing. Hey, can we get like a big celebrity owner? You know, can we get some big celebrity owners out there? Can that change things? Or can we get some big celebrities who are like talking horse racing, um, you know, on a day to day on a mainstream basis? I, I sure, I think, I think that that doesn't hurt, right? But how much help are we talking? Like how many people are go? Oh, you look, you know, the the Shaq or Justin Timber. I, you know, I mean, I, I'm just throwing names out there. Like, I, unless it's something where you know they're like constantly promoting it, they're constantly talking about it, they're constantly. Even even when you show up for a day here and there, like you said, like how much is the needle being moved with the like a celebrity or something like that? To me, I think you you gotta just try to treat your fan base. The niche that you've carved out The little piece of the pie that you have I think in any sport I mean and we 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 talk a lot about wrestling You know you and I are big wrestling fans And I'm kind of finding this a lot with wrestling too There's always a lot of like comparisons that I have with wrestling And with horse racing mainly because They're niche sports who have had their times You know throughout the years where they've been very very popular and like at, at extreme heights and then have kind of gone up and down and you still you see a lot of people that are faithful that will kind of stick through um you know watching wrestling or and and playing the races but when things we we don't want to feel like we're being like we're stupid like the people that uh we're we're, we're being treated like we're stupid 
And that happens I think a, a little too often It's happening a lot in, in wrestling right now Like there just seems like there's not a lot of uh, Consistency especially in WWE But I, it, it's, it seems like it's happened a lot In racing in the last 10 years It's like we're your fans We've been here a long time we are going to put our money in Most of us, even when we lose And we say we're never going to bet another race again We're never going to come back, you know, how many of us are on Twitter I'm done, I'm never playing again And two hours later we're playing Los Al and like, we're, we're the people that you have to kind of keep happy Because we're going to keep feeding you And so if you, not, if you don't do your own fans right How are you going to do new fans right? I'm going to paraphrase a friend of mine that works in the game I think you know him too Racing does a really bad job of marketing to its fan base that actually exists and does a great job of marketing to a fan base that isn't going to exist consistently. You mentioned the celebrity owner thing. I think we saw a perfect example of that with Gronkowski. When Gronkowski real, when the owners of Gronkowski realized they had a horse with talent, they brought him to America, brought him to Belmont horse runs second. Gronk gets associated with the horse. How many people who went, oh, that's interesting, are still horse racing fans? You'd need to go around and ask, but gut instinct tells me not a whole heck of a lot. And that's that way for a lot of reasons. Gronkowski hasn't run here in a while, whatever. But you saw that a little bit. Jim Rome with shared belief, that was great short term. Jim Rome was a passionate owner. He did a lot for horse racing with shared belief, with misdirection, a couple of other horses that he had that looked pretty impressive. How many people got drawn into horse racing because Jim Rome that are still here? Yeah, and it, it's it's not a very bad, interested to find And it's that not out. bad, right? It's not bad when no. the celebrities come in. It, it's not going to do anything negative unless it's necessarily like a group that's saying negative things or you know talking negative about women or this or that. You know what I mean? Like if if it's a person or a, a personality Or you know a, a group or whatever it is That's just starting to talk horse racing You know on more of a mainstream basis That's that's fine that's great But I think we've seen as you said Like how much is it affecting The, the betting which is Which is what it all comes down To right what, at the end this is A betting game so Yeah th- this was this was awesome when I read this and I saw a lot of the buzz and a lot of the feedback. I figured this would be something great we'd have to do as a podcast because look anything, we're not going to all agree on all these 50. You know, some of you that are listening are going to disagree with a lot of them. But what I liked about this, Andrew, is that this was something that you put together quickly, but this is something that you've obviously been working on in the back of your head or on little notepads or sheets with like all these different things every time that an issue has been raised throughout your life watching and covering horse racing. I think we all have, Gino. I think it's a situation where each and every one of us out there, regardless of your opinion on anything that I wrote or anything that we said, there's been a situation where you've said the magic words in any industry, there has to be a better way to do this. That's been what sparked all innovation anywhere. Those words right there. And if there's anything that anybody takes out of this, Whatever talking point it is Whatever spirit those talking points Were made in I think that's great And if any of this Somehow winds up trickling up to the top level And winds up creating some sort of Meaningful change that keeps the game Relevant long after we're gone 
then I've done my job. And that's something that I'm always going to be really proud of. I know there are people in high places that have read this. To those that did, thank you. To those that didn't, it's still up on my website. It's pretty easy to find if you just search for andrewchampagne.com. And the title of the piece is A 50-Point Plan for Horse Racing's Future. I should probably thank Bradley Weisbord for giving me the impetus to be able to put all this down. Full disclosure, I have never met Bradley Weisbord. None of this is meant in a personal confrontational I like him. standpoint. Yeah. And he but loves it is racing. a situation yeah. where I think we have very different views, and that's fine. Differences are what makes racing racing. If we all agreed on everything on a horse racing card, all the winners would be one to nine, right? Yeah. So it's been uh, it's been interesting seeing a lot of the people that have reached out to me about this, whether they be fans, people within the game, trainers, owners, what have you, bloodstock agents. It's been really cool. I mean, above all else, it reminds me I can still write, which is always welcome. And uh, it just it reflects the fact that there's a lot of really passionate people about that game. And as long as there are passionate people in horse racing that want the game to survive, I like its chances. Yeah, and we'll, we'll kind of end with this. Um, what I loved about the conversation that you were having with Brad and how this all sparked and any of these 50 things... If we tried one, two, three, four, or all 50, the key to me is it's it's trying. We're at the point now with racing where we just can't sit and do nothing. If you try something and it doesn't work, hey, that's fine. At least you tried. But if you just sit and do nothing, we're just going to continue to get whittled and whittled and whittled away until there's not a whole heck of a lot left. And if you try... That's the only way, and we're not even talking radical things. We're just talking smart, logical, common sense things here to make some improvements, to make the people that are investing in your game feel a little bit better. If you don't try some of these things, if you don't try, even if they're not these things, hey, maybe somebody else has another hundred list of hundred things that they think. And as long as they're positive for the horses and for the betters and for the customers, and hey, you know what? If we bring in celebrity owners and they bring up a ton of money and they are good for racing, then I'm sure you and I would be the first people to say, you know what? We were dead wrong on that. We were dead I, wrong. Hey, they brought I'd the- be happy to be wrong. Me too. I really genuinely would. I 100%. Mean, and there are some celebrity owners that undoubtedly have been good for racing. It's just a matter of seeing if we can leverage that interest long term beyond a couple of big days. How do we get the people that tuned in on a Saturday for Kentucky Derby Day to play on Sunday with a mandatory payout? Yep. And that will uh, will be another article think piece that you write as we continue to add to our little post-it list of ways that we can hopefully improve horse racing and fixing and, and no we're not i guess me i'm older than you now i was gonna say we're, i'm not someone who's trying to say it has to be done this way not someone who's trying to be stubborn about anything at all and I, what i love is you gave so many different opportunities and different uh different ways to change things different ways to improve things we just all agree that things need to be changed Effort needs to be made Attempts need to be made There are a ton of really good Really smart Really hardworking people in horse racing Man From the the owners who have earned the money and to, to spend on the horses To the trainers who are in the jockeys And the valets And the grooms And the hot walkers Who are getting up every day and To man And I'm not going to act like What we do is Is 
you know, uh, digging ditches, but when you dig into a card or um, a weekend when there's some good races and you spend hours and hours and hours handicapping the races and then you prep and you get up early and you do like we all there it's not horse racing is not filled with lazy people. There are a ton of hardworking people. I just think we all kind of together just need a like a collective nudge and point in the right direction. We might be a little idealistic in thinking about it, but that's why you highlighted all the specifics and saying, "Hey, you know what? Here are some of the ways that we can do this." This was awesome, Andrew. I really appreciate it, man. Like I, we spent almost an hour and a half now going through this, and um, I know that there's going to be some people out there that really appreciate all the time and effort you put into this. Gino, you know who else didn't change when they had to? Professional wrestling promoters in the mid-1980s when Vince McMahon was buying up everything in sight. Sports betting is Vince McMahon. We need to adapt or die. How's that for an ending? I love it. Awesome. <laughs> and now I can and now I can stop and go watch a uh, Monday Night Raw. So yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, I think we'll have this set out probably in a day or two. So Andrew, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. And next time we talk, it'll be uh, more handicapping like we like we usually. But I thought this was too good of a an opportunity to pass up. So thanks again, buddy. Dude, this was magic. It's the least I can do. This is a lot of fun. If you need something like this again, let me know. I'd be interested to see what kind of traffic you get. Let's get the plugs for you two. Uh, where can we find you on the website? And give us a, a plug for your YouTube channel also. Sure. Uh, Twitter is at Andrew Champagne. Website is andrewchampagne.com. Got a YouTube channel. Just search Andrew Champagne. That'll pop up. Thing I'm most excited about of late is the fact that I've started a sports betting play of the day on my website. There'll be some horse racing stuff on there as well. But after I had a really good year picking NFL games, I thought, gee, let's see how long I can keep this going. I've started off four and one in the new year. So hopefully that continues and hopefully I can make some people some money. Keep the train a rolling Andrew Champagne my friend you have a Great night and I'll talk to you again real soon Take it easy Gene I'll talk to you later Okay guys we'll be back in uh, in just a second Here on that's what G said Big thanks to Andrew Champagne Spent a lot of time there's some rambling Obviously me I ramble a lot when we get through ideas And they're um, You know we're just two buddies kind of talking and, and, and hoping for the best for the future of horse racing Before we close things out with the horse racing plays I want to let you know about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said Podcast CindyCarava.com If you want to send her an email CindyC.Realtor at gmail.com We all know moving is stressful It's one of the most difficult events in life The, the relocating There's so many factors that are going into that That you have to worry about You're probably not even thinking about That's why you need to find someone Who you can let take care of all that for you And that is Cindy Carava I've known her for over a decade She is one of the most honest and genuine people You will ever meet She can help you out in so many different ways Selling, purchasing, leasing She can connect you with vendors Maybe you're just trying to get a little home improvement for your house, handyman, painters, landscapers that she's used in her own homes. Maybe you need help getting pre approved for a loan. She can connect you to the lenders that she's worked with. She covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you're just curious to see how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of the home's value. You can find her on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. You can find reviews about her on Yelp and on Zillow. But CindyCarava.com is the uh, the home base where you can find all the contact information. That's uh, C-A-R-A-V-A. Make sure you let her know that Gino sent you. Close things out with some horse racing. First, we'll talk a little Thursday at Gulfstream Park. Then we'll talk some Friday at Sam Houston. So get your January 9th past performances out for Gulfstream Park race number one. Let's go right to the opener. And we're going to go to the number four, All 
power. I think this horse should be like six to five. So to me, if you're playing an early pick five, this is the exotic single right off the bat. In his debut, he completely missed the break. He moved up in between horses and and then down to the rail. He was up onto the heels of the, the leader. He checked. He had nowhere to go. He was tucked in. He was waiting for room. And then he looked like he had room down on the rail, and he tried to go inside. He got completely shut off. He lost all momentum. He lost a few lengths. Then he tried to angle around, but it was just too late. All power. Now gets the chance to cut back from six and a half furlongs to six. Should be the speed in here. There's not a ton of other pace signed on. I think he's the one to catch and the one to beat. Let's single the number four all power to kick things off in the opener at Gulfstream Park. Race number two. The number three, Jealous Boyfriend. I think this is a good horse to take a little bit of a flyer on if you get around 10 to 1 on him. His debut, I mean, he just really showed nothing. It was a slow start, but then he got squeezed back out of a tight spot and he never got into it. But he faced a a pretty nice horse. And if you'll notice, the favorite in this race is Cross Court. Cross Court was in that very debut race that Jealous Boyfriend was in. And Jealous Boyfriend was beaten, you know, 28 lengths. He just started to back up late. But Cross Court was beaten 11 lengths. He was actually favored that day. He lost to a nice horse, and he was clear-cut second. But he was well, well beaten. I think there's plenty of room for upside here with Jealous Boyfriend. Irad jumps on. It's a small field um, where the heavy favorite was well beaten. There's a few first-time starters. Let's take a little flyer on Jealous Boyfriend here at 10-1. to 1. I wouldn't necessarily call him like a single, but I'm, if you're putting together a pick five, throw him in your pick five and maybe play a few bucks to win on him if we get double-digit odds. Let's go to race number four at Gulfstream Park. Here's another one who is kind of a... I think he's a little bit sneaky. Uh, Fulzano, the eight, whose debut was against Better. And, and he wheels back. And he, he debuted on December the 22nd, and now he's back on, on January the 9th. What I like is that he, he showed some... Sp- she... Showed some speed in between horses versus better. She got shuffled back, and she just couldn't re-rally. Uh, that same speed versus this group would have her in a nice striking spot, probably right behind the early leaders. And now Paco jumps on for a barn he has been very successful with. I like Flo Zano. I'll make a win wager if we get anything around half of that morning line. at 6-1 to one or over. We'll bet to win. And make sure to throw the 8 Flo Zano in all of your exotics. Gulfstream Park, let's go to race number 5. Let's go to the 9. Up M. Blinkers come off for this one who's making his first start of 2019. He's had just a uh, 2020. He's had two months off now, but he's been his own worst enemy at the start. And I think the blinkers coming off will be key for him. He's just been a little bit too keyed up at the start. If you notice, he was pushed in at the start. He was bumped at the start. He was bumped. He was bumped. He was brushed at the gate. So I'm thinking blinkers off, relax a little bit. You're not so keyed up to go. Now he's fresh. He drops in class a little bit. I like up him. The number nine. In race number five, keep an eye on the two also who's a first-time gelding just in the nick of time. I would use those two in your exotics, but if we get five to one, let's make a win wager on the number nine, Upham. And let's go to race number nine for our next Gulfstream Park play. We're going to go to the number four, Secure Connection. He hasn't raced since September when he won uh, Maiden Special Weight at Delaware, but to me it's the races prior to that that I actually liked even more. If you go back his June 20th race, in his career debut, in her career debut, I'm sorry, she was behind a horse named Classy Sadie, who tried Stakes Company next time out. Then on July the 26th at Laurel, there were a couple next out winners that day. Bella Aurora is now a Stakes winner. On August the 29th at Colonial, hooked a horse named Love Beach, who was third next out against Stakes Company. And then Secure Connection 
one last time out Had to take back to mid-pack Seventh, was about five lengths off Was settling in between horses Asked for run, responded nicely Moved in between, angled around And ran down a loose on the lead arrival 5-1-1 Who Ended up finishing second But that horse was tough to run down with lone speed First time, first time Lasix today this one should be a little closer early Going the mile in a 16th doesn't have to be as far out of it And we've actually seen that she has a little bit of speed If she wants to show it That's the number 4, Secure Connection We'll make a win wager on the number 4 If we can get anything around 7-2 to two. And then the final play of the day On January 9th at Gulfstream Will be in the 10th at the number 5 Free the Beast Free the Beast was a debut maiden, was a debut maiden claimer winner And then on October the 30th Stepped up and faced winners And actually was pretty good that day Uh Tracked nicely early took and then took back Was like 6th, 7th, was about 7 lengths off Angled to the outside and got into a really nice stride late But couldn't catch the loose on the lead, Miss Headley And then on November the 30th Free the Beast tried a really tough group on the dirt In which the winner Spanish Point came back to finish 3rd Behind the runner-up Sound Machine In the Glitter Woman Stakes next out If you just toss that dirt try Free the Beast looks really, really good in here I'd be surprised if he's that high of uh, if she I keep saying the keep keep uh, confusing the uh, the Colts and the Phillies here uh, free the beast she will be really tough at anything around you know four to one we'll make a win wager on free the beast so our plays from Gulfstream Park race number one the number four all power exotic single I think this horse should should be like close to odds on. Second race, the number three, Jealous Boyfriend. Toss into your exotics. Make a play if we get around 10 to 1. Fourth race, the number eight, Fluzano. Sneaky around 6 to 1. Um, throw into some of your exotics. The fifth race, the number nine, Upham. Make sure to use along with the two, but we'll bet the nine if we can get 5 to 1. In the ninth race, the number four, Secure Connection. We'll make a win wager at 7 to 2. And in the tenth race, the number five, Free the Beast. We'll make a win wager if we can get around 4 to 1. Get your Sam Houston out. For January the 10th And I'm really pumped about Sam Houston One of the reasons why I'm going to play Sam Houston I'm going to always give the tracks that Do what we ask as customers, right? Less takeout, lower takeout We get a little bit more of our money back And Sam Houston's doing that They have a turf course over there I like where they're located because they get horses coming in From all over the place, right? Those are the kind of racetracks that I really like Because they're harder They make it more difficult to handicap I feel like if we spend some time on them Then we'll have an advantage over the people That don't spend the time handicapping those races So let's get the Sam Houston Get your PPs out for the 10th Let's go to the second race at Sam Houston The low takeout Or in in particular Pick 3's, pick 4's, pick 5's The win play show takeout is very very good too So those will be a lot of the wagers That I'll be focusing in on And we're going to go to the number 8 And that's Towering Oak I just think he it was outrun a little bit and overmatched last out. He did he did run in spots, finishing fifth in that field of eleven. He was well beaten over at Remington Park. He was three deep into the turn. I just think he's going to be much better of a fit at this level where he's able to sit a little bit closer. He has some tactical speed. He has the ability to show speed or come from off the pace if need be. The fourth place finisher in the race that he comes out of last time out won next out against Oklahoma bred in a in a five thousand allowance. I think Towering Oak. If we get 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager on the 8, Towering Oak. Let's go to race number 3. Let's talk about the number 4, Cleverly, who was your your favorite when she debuted at Remington Park, and she broke well from the outside. She was a close-up fourth. She was within a couple lengths, but then she faded. Um, she got, got bet a lot that day. 
which is not surprising because a lot of Steve Asmussen first-time starters get bet. Then last out, she went down to her nose at the start. She moved through in between horses. She was up close. She was within two on the inside. I just feel like there's a lot more to this filly than we've seen. I think the change of scenery will do her well. Sometimes you just need to move, change the track, mix it up a little bit. Let's go with the number four, Cleverly, and we'll make a win wager on this one if we can get anything around four. Race number four, let's go to the number two, Startling. Also, if you're not following Carl Broberg on uh, on Twitter, on social media, he's a great follow. He's really funny, really honest, so give Carl Broberg a, a follow on there. I'll try to get him on uh, some big horses running coming up. Startling, what I like in, in a restricted claiming race like this is I like to look for horses that have the upside and that are lightly raced, and that is Startling in here. In his most recent start at Delta, he broke inward, he bumped, he lost his footing a little bit, and he tracked from third, he was tucked inside, it was an okay effort, and that was against better. And that was going five furlongs. He's going to make his third start now off the long, long layoff. He did not race between November 24th of 2018 and December 6th of 2019. So this race coming up and the drop in class with Brober kind of trying to figure out where he he belongs, trying to find his right level, I think he's going to be set for an absolute best effort. That we've seen from him So I'm expecting a big one from Startling We'll make a win wager if we can get anything Around half of that morning line price of 4-1 to Startling race number 4 At Sam Houston Let's go to race number 6 at Sam Houston The number 4 decorated for gold I think is really well spotted coming in from Turf Paradise The last effort, you know it wasn't that great Just kind of ran around in a circle Didn't show a whole lot But the 2 and 3 back races on the grass What I like a lot about this filly is her style Her running style Gives her an opportunity to kind of just be Just behind the leader She's not really speedy But in this particular race against this particular field She will probably be sitting a good trip And get a jump on some of the horses Who are going to be coming from way out of it So I wouldn't be shocked to see Decorated for Gold Get a little bit more aggressive in a race where you look around And nobody really scares you in here She was right behind a horse named Dime for Me Last time out who was a a non-two winner In her next start Decorated for Gold in race number six at Sam Houston, let's make a win wager if we can get seven to two. Final play of the day will be in race number nine at Sam Houston. The number three, Felita Bell, who comes in off of a, a really nice third at Fairgrounds, and that was in a race in a that had some moisture on the racetrack. She was shuffled back a little bit at the start. She settled fifth. She was inside. She waited. She angled four deep. She closed well down the center of the racetrack, and now she's going to go third off the bench. She gets extra distance back to six and a half where she's been her best. Third start off the the short break. Felita Bell will make a win wager on this one if we can get anything around three to one. That's in the ninth race at Sam Houston. So our Sam Houston plays for Friday night. We have race number two. The number eight, Towering Oak, will play to win at seven to two. The four, Cleverly. At 4-1 to one in race 3, we'll play that one to win. In race number 4, Startling, we're looking for around 4-1 to one on the number 2. In race number 6, Decorated for Gold, we're looking for around 7-2 to two on that one. And in race number 6, that's the 4. And then in race number 9, the 3, Felita Bell, we're looking for around 3-1. to one. Horse racing plays for Thursday and for Friday. Thanks for listening, folks. Appreciate uh, you downloading, you subscribing. And if you can, head on over to iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud. Uh, hit that subscribe button. It's a big help for us. It doesn't cost you anything, and it uh, it helps boost us up with our advertisers and uh, 
can put a few extra bucks in our pockets. So thanks for uh, always listening. And if you can leave a nice five-star rating on review on iTunes, that would be a, a big help also. Joey, my friend, close us out. So-